This week, Mike Wilkes, Chief Information Security Officer at Security Scorecard, joins us for an interview about third-party risk. Next up, an interview featuring, featuring Amanda Berlin, Lead Incident Detection Engineer at Blue Mira. Finally, in the security news for this week, Microsoft Zero Days electrical electric vehicles charge points hacked to show naughty videos. We covered that last week, but we're going to cover it again. Chinese hackers are using VLC Media Player to launch malware, malware disguised as Telegram, and more. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. If your websites conduct transactions or collect sensitive data, you have a material risk on your hands that could cost millions. The client-side security gap is being exploited daily with attacks like digital skimming, credential harvesting, and form jacking. 98% of sites use first and third-party JavaScript to power and enhance the user experience, opening up the client side to the adversary. Unlike most things in security, there is an easy fix. Start by understanding your risk. Let Source Defense give you a site-wide risk report this week. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash source defense. And welcome to the show. But first, let me introduce you to a man who wanted to send a duck to space, but found the bill was astronomical. Mr. Paul Asadorian. Welcome, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. It's episode number 736, recorded on April 13th, 2022, right here in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. Mr. Larry Pesce is ah, here to my left. It's good, good, yeah, good to be back. Yeah, good it's good nice to, to have you in studio, man. Yeah, last week was uh, rough, <laughs> to say the least. Yes. Yes, at least. Yep. Another another round of COVID, and I had to teach for Sans remote at the same time. And yep. well, at least you were remote. This is true. Like so, like plans didn't change. I just had it sucked. it sucked. I like we, we've just gone like yeah, I had COVID last week. It's good. All right, moving <laughs> yep. on with life. Moving on. Yep. I mean, it's it's actually encouraging. Yes. It's good. Yeah. Still did my job. That's it. <laughs> Mr. Josh Morpet is here with us. Josh, welcome. Hey, pleasure to be here again, as always. And uh, Larry, so you isolated while still working. Well done. I know. It's crazy. I'm I'm impressed and terrified all at the same time. It just means I'm efficient or something. No, it means you're stupid, but okay, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fine line, right? Are there, uh, where's the rest of the crew tonight? I think, uh, I think Tyler might be joining us momentarily okay. here. But uh, yeah, that's sweet. That's what we got. Hopefully we add more hosts as the show uh, goes on. Yep. Uh, Security Weekly listeners, save $100 on your RSA Conference 2022 full conference pass. It's not a half conference pass or a quarter conference pass. That's a full conference pass. RSA Conference will be live in San Francisco June 6th through the 9th. Security Weekly will be there in full force, except I won't be there, delivering real-time live coverage and interviewing some of the event's top speakers and sponsors to register using our discount code. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash RSAC2022 and use the code 52UCYBER, 52UCYBER. We hope to see you there. Mr. Tyler Robinson has joined us. Hey, Tyler. How's it going, Paul? Hey, good to see you, buddy. Glad you're here with us this evening. Uh, this uh, segment is sponsored by Security Scorecard. You can learn more about Security Scorecard by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash security scorecard. Joining us from Security Scorecard, because wow. I had to make sure I said that okay. at least 
four times. I think it was four. Uh, Mike Wilkes. Mike is the Chief Information Security Officer at Security Scorecard and is a technology evangelist with experience reaching back to the earliest days of the internet and the birth of e-commerce. He and his team built, launched, and supported Starbucks.com in 1998. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's uh, great to uh, to be here. It's a, a real honor to have a conversation with y'all and talk a little bit about some of my experience and perspectives on risk and uh, security. It's nice to have you uh, here on the show tonight, Mike. I like to start uh, all of our interviews really with uh, asking the question, how did you get your start in information security? Um, well, I've been focusing on it the last five or six years, but um, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I started abusing computers for a living during the whole dot-com rise and fall in California, there were no CISOs, right? It wasn't really a title. Um, and so I tell a, a story about um, launching Starbucks.com. Microsoft donated uh, the hardware because they wanted to be able to boast that Starbucks ran on Windows. And I was on the other side of the you know, team, the DevOps team. We called it WebOps back then, but now it'd be called DevOps. Um, that's, you know, built and, and prepared it and launched it. And I didn't want to get woken up all the time every time IAS was crashing. So what I actually did was I took a, um, a five a Spark 5 um, Ultra 5 and put it in front of the Starbucks site, recompiled Apache to give a server header because in that version, you couldn't actually just set it as a configuration management right. and to identify as IAS3. And so I was doing deception and security at the same time because it was a reverse proxy and I was caching all this content from these backend Windows servers. Um, so I think I've been doing security since, you know, my first 300 baud modem in a Commodore 64, um, you know, breaking security and learning about bullet boards and things like that. Uh, but really as a, a title, you know, I just kind of lucked out. Um, I was working, you know, um, in the Department of Education uh, at the Far Western Laboratory in San Francisco. And uh, we had a T1 into the lab back then, 1994 or so. And, uh, you know, my hobby became my career. I actually have two degrees in philosophy. Um, computers is just the thing that became my career. So uh, that's a little bit of my origin story about how I got into you know, InfoSec. Fantastic. I, I think I try and forget that there were websites in the 90s. <laughs> I think I'm so scarred that I'm like, we actually did e-commerce in the 90s. I'm like, oh, yeah, I tried to forget all of that. And uh, there was another guest talking about in the 90s, how Microsoft was pushing IIS as the as the platform, encouraging uh, ISPs and others uh, to run that technology. So I interesting stories from Microsoft back in the day that kind of are reemerging today that I'm, I'm you know, kind of surprised uh, and also just really um, well surprised that Microsoft has made the turnaround and some other large companies haven't made quite the turnaround security wise that Microsoft has. Yeah, I've been impressed with what they've done um, in the last, you know, 10 years or so. Windows Subsystem Linux, you know, PowerShell. Um, and they're really taking strides, I think, with with Azure. And I mean, you can just go to what shell.azure.com and, and get a Bash shell or a PowerShell on your infrastructure. Um, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, so, Mike, how did you come to Security Scorecard in playing in the kind of third-party risk world? Um, well, I actually met um, Alex Yampolsky, the co-founder and CEO, uh, back in 2015. And I've been following the company since then. Uh, it's it's an eight-year-old startup uh, 
I guess uh, if you count back to 2014. Mm. And I was a customer of the platform twice uh, before becoming the CISO. Uh, I joined in August of 2020. Uh, but before that, I was a customer when I was the CISO at ASCAP, uh, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. I'm a jazz musician. I play drums, and I'm an ASCAP member. ASCAP's great. It plays, you know, royalties. And, and, and Mike, uh, is that, that is that written the songs? Is that Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in the background? Yes, yes. My son's <laughs> having a bassoon lesson uh, in the living room right now. That's so, awesome. Um, That's great. Classical serenades. Um, yeah. It's actually and, a very uh, nice background. A it's a nice background music. Yeah. So it's good. It's good. And uh, then uh, the, the, the work at ASCAP is, is amazing in my mind, so just because, you know, Spotify came along and kind of decimated all the mechanical rights they're called, right? The st streaming royalties. Uh, how else could the founder be worth, you know, several billion dollars if, if he hadn't actually extracted value from the music industry? Um, but in this case, you know, the founding, uh, one of the, the, what is it? The, um, the chairman of the board at ASCAP is um, Paul Williams, and he wrote the Rainbow Connection for the Muppet movie. Hmm. So you can't imagine a more warm and fuzzy clientele to protect. Hmm. 800,000 members, 1.2 billion in revenue when I was there, and I built the security program there. And I used Security Scorecard to do third-party risk and to actually analyze our own risk as a company uh, and look at our scorecard. But most people actually like to hear about my stories from the one company before that. Uh, where I was the head of security at Marvel for two years. Uh, and I like to joke, it was my job to keep Iron Man safe. <laughs> Their uh, headquarters is still based out in New York? Yeah, Marvel Entertainment, um, 50th Street. I think they're in the Rolling Stone building now. When I worked there, it was um, slightly uh, down the street. But just as cool a job as you can imagine. You walk in, everyone's watching movies, you know, reading comics, and that was their job. And it was my job to keep them safe. Uh, so I was head of DevOps, enterprise architecture, and InfoSec. So I was the three-fourths of all signatures required to get a change into production. I was like, Mike, do you approve these designs that you've secured, you know, that you're about to, uh, you know, implement for the platform? And I was like, yes, I approve my designs. Something about segregation of duties there sounds off but that's just me well i don't know i mean we like we like to call it a collapsed and consolidated and frictionless uh, <laughs> approach to frictionless yes so. definitely frictionless uh that okay. had to be but that had to be somewhat nerve-wracking too based on what happened to sony pictures as well Did that resonate with a lot of folks at, at marvel when you were there because i mean that was a threat oh, model that yeah. happened in real life um, i wasn't I wasn't there for more than a month when there was a breach of the Daredevil account um, on social media by Crowdmind. And they are ethical. They said, hey, you should really set up two-factor auth on your franchise Twitter accounts um, with all these users. And it wasn't us, actually, um, that was breached. I think it was um, a social media manager at uh, Netflix or something because we shared a lot of these properties with them at the mm -hmm. time. But talk about a large you know, real estate of, to protect. Um, 5,000, you know, characters in the marvel cinematic universe or comics universe um, as well and then times every social media platform you know so i mean you don't want um captain america tweeting something like hail hydra right even though he said it in the movies you know. <laughs> yeah certainly and certainly a lot of intellectual property to protect as well as third-party relationships right i mean i already mentioned sony I've kind of loosely caught up recently what Marvel and Sony have been, you know, they struck, struck some deals for Spider-Man, right? So I'm assuming there was lots of other third-party yeah. relationships, yeah. 
Yeah, the licensing gets pretty complicated, which is why we never saw a Venom film for so long. But now, you know, that's sort of being repaired, those relationships. Um, I think it was because of a really large percentage of the revenue had to go to the creator. Um, he held on to strong um, uh, intellectual property rights there. Mm. But they eventually did it. And, yeah, the Sony relationship was massaged and, and improved with Tom Holland and making the Spider-Man movies, you know, hits again. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, stories. Like, one of the things I did when I first was at you know marvel i ran disney's um, scorecard and i sent you know the report uh, off to the global CISO uh, glenn taylor and i said to him you know there's there's a lot of things in here you're aware of and that you are working on fixing but there's some things that are going to surprise you and i think that's one of the cool aspects of the platform discovery um you've you've heard of rogue it right people yeah. stand things up with a credit card on linode or aws you know in the marketing shadow department. it rogue yeah, IT, yeah, yeah, it still gets yeah. called shadow it but which can mean different things but certainly all the same. we're all yeah. talking about the same same yeah. thing yeah and so this is something that helps right because we're scanning all of ipv4 every day and we find about 50 to 60 billion vulnerabilities every week we map those back into a scorecard and we give people a letter grade a through f stumbling down easy right for the board of directors to understand how's your posture how's your posture compared to your competitors things like that but the discovery aspect was really fun and the story i tell about this was finding an open ftp server and they're like no no you know disney has forbidden public facing ftp servers for the last three years you know it can't possibly be true and of course i, I type in the ip address on the disney confluence and up comes you know the match and it's like oh look there's a username and a password here and so i type it and i log in and there was a script for the jimmy kimmel uh, show for that night right for abc oh, so it was a forgotten wow. content management system integration that had fallen off of the declarative assets mm -hmm. and was still there right as a part of your attack surface and so i think that it's useful obviously who's who's going to pay you know, Qualys or Tenable or Rapid7 to scan all of IPv4, looking for assets that you forgot about or that you didn't even know existed. And so we're doing that for you. So that's one of the things I found of great value in the platform as a mm. client. There, some would say that there's more value in doing a more in-depth test with actual humans. I think, I think now we're probably beyond that, but I do want to bring it up that uh, some of the arguments I heard when third-party risk and evaluations were taking place they were like well it's, it's not a pen test i'm like yeah but it's not cool it isn't to be a pen test um so like where is it a vulnerability scan is it an asset discovery is, is there some pen test aspect to it like when you do a third-party assessment through security scorecard like how do, how do you classify that mike mm -hmm. well i think it's useful to know what is the digital footprint of the entity that you're, you're looking at, right? And if you're going to shortlist, you know, four or five vendors, you know, the one that has an A is is obviously a lot less risky. Um, but you're right; it's it's passive scanning. We're not breaking the law. We're not doing actual pen testing. We're just doing passive collection of open source intelligence. We look at the headers, we look at the DNS records, and we can see if you have a mal misconfigured SPF record and someone can spoof emails and then business email compromise risk. Mm -hmm. We can see if you've opened up port 3389 for Microsoft RDP, uh, like the Okta breach recently. Okta wasn't attacked. It was Citel, right? Their provider, their third party or fourth party in this case, you know, risk. And, you know, you could see that Citel had a bad score for the last 12 months and someone had gotten clever and was making their job easier by RDPing into a, a, a machine that they had, you know, built in, in AWS. And then they were running all of the Okta admin tools from there. Um, so I think that it's, it's, not, um, it's not sufficient 
to do outside in. Uh, but it's absolutely necessary, I think, to understand what is your attack surface? What is the size of your digital footprint? And then we score someone with a million IP addresses totally differently than we score someone with 10, mm-hmm. right? If you have a really bad finding and you only have 10 public facing assets or IP addresses, that one bad finding is gonna tank your score, right? But if you're shell.com, for example, and you've got a million or 2 million IP addresses, you can have a lot of you know, mistakes, so to speak, that you can still have an A. And so I think it's important to understand that we cluster based on the size of your digital footprint. And it's not really a a pen test, but it is like the reconnaissance phase of what bad guys would do. So why shouldn't you know everything that the bad guys can know about you and all of your third parties? And they obviously go for the weakest link and they will attack the weakest link instead of you. Uh, So you better have a good sense of your own security posture and that of your critical vendors. You know, it's interesting, Mike, you you mentioned the the vendor of the vendor, right? And we talk about that in the context of security libraries and such and how you deal with the transient dependencies and the resulting vulnerabilities. Does that translate Mm -hmm. to third party, fourth, fifth vendors, those transient risks of I've got a third party, but they use they use another to them it's a third party, maybe to you it's a fourth party, right? Is that how you kind of is that how you phrase that? Yeah, um, I think of it as like nth party, essentially, at that point, because yeah, it can yeah. be fifth or sixth, right? Like all of your third parties that you have contracts with that are hosting things for you. I mean, how often has AWS gone down in US East recently and brought down a disproportionate size you know, of yep. a portion of the internet? Um, that's concentration risk. So you may be fault tolerant and highly available, but your third parties may have put all their eggs in one basket, aka running their entire infrastructure in US East. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when we realize that uh, we really do need to be able to map and do auto vendor detection. Um, but going back to your previous um, comment about humans, I love having a really good, you know, pen tester, you know, annually come in and do the work. And we just recently launched our um, HackerOne vulnerability disclosure program. Uh, and so we have a security.txt file on our website. That's how you would report things to us. It goes to HackerOne, they triage it. So this is like 24 by seven, you know, pen testing essentially. And HackerOne folks, they find things that are not just, oh, this CVE is vulnerable because you're running a old version of Nginx or Apache. And they find business logic flaws, right? They find all sorts of useful stuff. So I've been a big fan of there. We actually have HackerOne signals in our scorecards. And the ad that came on at the beginning um, for Source Defense, they're a partner of ours as well in our marketplace. And so all of the Source Defense signals show up on scorecards as well. So now we have CrowdStrike um, just recently announced as inside out some scores plus our outside in. Uh, we have uh, something new coming up with Palo Alto that I think I'm allowed to talk about um, uh, because it's going to launch publicly soon. Um, And then uh, a bunch of other useful ones like Cybel, um, what is it called? Dark Owl and Cybel Angel um, to help surface some of the signals. Uh, And of course, Hack Notice and HackerOne shows up. And so really, we're just building this this basic concept of how do you assess and quantify risk? How do you make it communicable to the board? Because the board doesn't understand this stuff, right? You put a table and you set CISO at the seat right? Because SolarWinds, Kaseya, and now Okta, all of these supply chain attacks, um, and even the open source stuff like Log4j, which wasn't even an attack, it was just a vulnerability. It has really brought to the attention of everyone, but no one really speaks this crazy moon language of of CISOs and InfoSec professionals. And so I think that's one of the reasons why we're using these basic letter grades to describe people's risk. And my classic example is, you know, you show some of their scorecard and they often get, you know, very defensive. They're like, well, my security is better than that. Um, 
And so I like to think they go through the five stages of grief, you know, yeah. denial, bartering, anger, frustration. Eventually they reach acceptance. Um, but I like to show them a very inoffensive pairing. I'll show them Coke versus Pepsi. I'll show them the Packers versus the Bears, right? And just compare two entities, get familiar with the factors and the scores and the weights and things like that, and then show them their own scorecard. And that's usually a much better way to get fast forward to acceptance and say, okay, you're right. You know, there is some stuff out there that I don't think is the most risky, but it could be a part of a, a breach, you know, and a kill chain uh, risk. It's interesting to think about today, Mike, when you show someone their grade, whether regardless of the grade, right? Uh, let's just say it's not an A, um, you know, they've got some work to do. You've got a lot of options. I think 20 years ago, you were like, we need to get some pen testers in here. Right. And I think for many organizations, they need internal pen test teams, certainly in the financial sector in many got to do some pen testing. But I think for many organizations with breach and attack simulation, attack surface management, um, vulnerability scanning, uh, you know, all those technologies today, you can get a lot of good information about the overall security posture uh, of your organization you know, without, you know, bringing pen testers in every single day to go, yeah, here's the, like your low hanging fruit. I think you can discover that stuff on your own so that by the time security scorecard does the analysis, I mean, you're likely at probably an A if you're using all of those things appropriately, no? You'd think that was true and you'd think that'd be the case. But um, one of the ways I've put it, you know, Someone asked me, well, what if everyone had an A? Would security scorecard go out of business, right? If everyone did the basics and just right. did HSTS headers, you know, had proper, you know, DMARC, DKIM, and, and SPF, and and had, you know, um, all of this stuff that is the most common, you know, defects that we find on scorecards. Um, no, we wouldn't go out of business. We'd just find new interesting signals. Um, we've got a really great threat intelligence team. We've poached some really great talent from former McAfee employees. Mm -hmm. And we're running stuff now that's like nation state threat actors. And we're doing briefings for the FBI and for, you know, international um, uh, governments and organizations to help track down and, and take some of these bad actors out. Uh, we discovered a, a botnet that was being used in Ukraine. Uh, we, we gave it the name Zodnost, um, which I think is um, Russian for greed. Uh, in some format of translation. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's really useful to understand that, it, you know, let's say you have 60,000 vulnerabilities, you know, <clears throat> through your internal scanning with, with Tenable or something. All of them aren't equal. You know, many of them may be critical, but if there's no exploit code and no one's actively probing you uh, for those exploits, you don't have to patch that as quickly as you have to patch the ones that are being actively exploited in the wild. So think of the you know CISA um, list and catalog of risks, right? They want to get your pulse secure VPNs. They want to get your MFAs in place. They want to hit all of the really easy stuff that they know is being exploited. And so I think that's the combination of you know threat intelligence layered on top of you know, security ratings. Security rating shows you the attack surface, and then threat intelligence tells you what to focus on first. The prioritization yeah. is is always the tricky part. It's always the most difficult mm -hmm. thing, I think. Well, I, you know, having worked, sorry, Josh, having worked in vulnerability yeah. management, it, people are like, ah, oh, your tool is great. It finds all the stuff. And then they're like, not all the stuff, but most of it, right? And then other people be like, hey, your your tool finds too much stuff. Now I got to go fix it. And I'm like, wait, that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> and then how do I prioritize it, right? That's that's really the yeah. challenge. But at a certain a certain time when you have too much stuff going on, you're just screwed, you know. And and so, but it's 
it's interesting that you pointed out the outside in inside out points. And uh, by the way, I do want to say that I did donate to your jazz fundraiser a while back. Um, oh yeah. For so the, uh, uh, National Jazz Museum in Harlem. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm glad you got this gig. It's really good, man. Congrats. Um, but, uh, I think that the interesting point is that security scorecard takes a lot of, of heat for just having an external view. And so you've been working on changing that over the last, what, couple of years, year or so, uh, to make it so that there's the inside out as well as the outside in. And I think in general, that's lovely. That's appropriate. That's the way it should be because there's no way you're going to get a proper view of an organization, of a company, of an agency, of a whatever from simply an outside in point of view, as you put it. Um, I'm curious when, not, not just when will you have prioritization, as Paul pointed out, that is not fun, but when will you have enough data to get a real good idea of how well that third or fourth or 12th party is doing? Is it now? Do you have enough data right now to give me a, a very good idea, a solid, certifiable answer? Or are you waiting for, what, what's the next technology you want to integrate in to bring that outside in and inside out view? I just want to say also before Mike answers that, Mike, you have the best poker face. Like I do not want to play poker with you ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've, I've, I've lost some hands um, with some of my uh, former Stanford uh, classmates when we get together <laughs> sometimes. So um, maybe I'm just demonstrating good poker face uh, on the call today. But uh, Great poker. Um, I think that the holistic view of risk is where every CISO and every InfoSec professional wants to be. And yes. um, I like to use a, a metaphor, uh, not a, a metaphor, it's actually a, a quote from an ancient Greek philosopher and historian. And this helps me explain and answer, you know, what we're talking about, uh, Josh. Uh, Heraclitus, uh, he was an ancient Greek philosopher and historian, and he said, you can never step into the same river twice. And the reason I like this phrase is because to me it encapsulates the dynamic nature of cybersecurity and risk right the board is just like are we good yes no um and and there's no right answer to that question right you say yes we're good you're lying you say no we're not good you know um they're upset they don't want to hear that answer and so you need to qualify it and have a better answer that says well you made a kind of a mistake security is not a state right it's a process and with this with this river analogy um, this is not AI, machine learning hype, right? This is what you might call OG InfoSec, meaning, you know, if you're going to run and step up to the river, I'm a different CISO this year than I was, you know, a year or two ago. And the things Absolutely. that I'm protecting and the nature of the world has changed radically, right, with the pandemic. Mike, I wanted to ask you a question along those lines that, you know, we, we talked about a lot of different technologies for assessing your security posture, but as we all know, that changes in a lot of organizations on an hourly basis. So like what my external footprint in view to the world looks like now, like wait an hour, that could be totally different. Kind of like the weather in Rhode Island. Let's just say, if you don't like the weather in Rhode Island, just wait an hour. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, I believe you also give that historical believe. reference. It's a five-minute walk. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but you... You give that uh, historical reference. In other words, like you scan the same company at certain points in time, and then I get like a report that shows their kind of graph over time. Is that that's a thing? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I found most useful. Is like if you're going to start scanning with Tenable or, like I said, Rapid Seven or Qualys or something, you suddenly learn what their risk posture is now, right? If you decide to scan a bunch of public IPs and find expired certificates, you know, sure. uh, mismatched, you know, bad use of TLS, you know, 1.0 or something. Um, but so we're scanning every day, and some of the faster moving currents of the internet would be the cloud service provider IP blocks. So that's about 60 to 70 million IP addresses, right? That fall under, it could be anyone's ALB today or tomorrow. So we actually scan those ranges 12 times a day. And if we don't get a match, an attribution match, 10 of those 12 scans, we just can't attribute it, right? Because attribution is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three-letter agencies know it, right? Um, a, a botted, you know, university computer, you know, at a, at a you know, computer lab uh, could be owned by the you know the Chinese the Russians and the North you know or the Iranians at the same time right you've, you've seen incidences where there are multiple breaches and they're uninstalling each other's malware um, and so I think that it's it's important to reflect on the fact that yes yeah we scan all of the internet a lot of those assets are very static the ones that are very fast moving we give our best chance right and our refute rate of our observations is about one one and a half percent and so if we're seeing 50 to 60 billion vulnerabilities every week plus we also have a top five sinkhole um, infrastructure where we're pulling in about 700 million malware events per day. So imagine, you know, Japanese diplomats on in on holiday in Paris. We're seeing those command and control signals come into our sinkhole domains, and we map that back through to the entities as well. So we've got lots of good, you know, really really good data, um, but. Going back to the holistic, uh, you know, how do you solve for inside out plus outside in? Uh, that's why we have this marketplace. That's why we're trying to be very agnostic about um, partnering with everyone and letting you know uh, Palo Alto come in, letting CrowdStrike come in, and to basically send you know queries. Right? We look at the inside assets and then we rank and score them using our algorithms that have been calibrated and fine-tuned you know monthly for the last seven eight years uh, and we use that to come up with a score for the inside risk then you really do have a good perspective that that no one can deny because you have that privileged inside out perspective oh there is a WAF here oh you know there is like um you know endpoint security you, they may still be using 2008 right windows 2008 on a machine you know and we may detect that um uh, through some of our purchasing of ad tech data we buy ad tech data not to sell you you know a pair of shoes we buy the ad tech data for the user agent string, mm-hmm. which tells you the version of the operating system and the version of the browser. And then we know which added IP address it came from. So we just map it through to you and say, hey, guess what? You're still running Windows 7. It's like, how do you know that? And it's like, well, someone's browsing CNN.com and we buy the ad tech data that tells us that. Mm. Uh, Mike, one, one thing that comes to mind is that I think when many of us have done uh, penetration testing, when I was doing internal assessments, vulnerability assessments, when I worked for university, right? There's, I, I don't know how frequently occurring it is, right? But you would get started on the assessment, and at some point, you're like, oh, someone else has already been here. <laughs> like, you're already owned. <laughs> like, now we have to flip into doing a pen test, uh, an assessment of any Threat kind, yeah, yeah, to incident response mode because you know you're you're mm-hmm. you're compromised. I'm assuming you built some of that into the the security scorecard platform as well because that would impact a score. I want to partner, I want to acquire this company, but they've already got had an incident. They just don't they're know it yet. They're actively breached at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And right. I'm assuming it sounds like the data sources you're pulling you could you could uh, garner that information in some cases. We do. Yeah. yeah. And that's the kind of thing that we can't necessarily share, but um meaning we're, we're very as, tra- as pe- transparent as we can be. Mm. So you can get a free account for your domain 
and log in and see 100% of your data on our platform for free. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay to see every row level observation of IP address and on what date and what vulnerabilities. Um, interesting, the academic piece that you mentioned. Um, I'm an adjunct professor. I teach uh, cybersecurity at NYU mm -hmm. uh, for the last two years now. And I've been taking my students and using the platform to give NYU free security assessments. And so they've been doing, you know, um, what uh, NYU Langone, they looked at the maker space, right, at Tandon. Um, they've looked at, you know, the alumni infrastructure because there's a lot of PII there. And so I've been delivering like, you know, 15 per semester or so security assessments for free using our platform and other tools to NYU. And NYU has a huge digital footprint and they have a really bad score. And so does their major rival, right? Columbia, right? Uh, Universities have huge IP spaces, aka large digital footprint, and you have professors that think that they're systems administrators. Like, why can't I run MySQL on the internet and just open it up, you know, and then have all this data available? Because uh, they're very trusting in that regards, and they're always understaffed, right? I don't, uh, you know, have any uh, malice towards you know the NYU infrastructure team. They're they're a small team with a huge risk, you know, to mitigate, uh, and so we try to help with that, right? And, and we partner. Um, I'm actually. Uh, working on a new course uh, for a nine-month CISO certification program that NYU is launching. Um, and Ed Amoroso is, is one of the lead faculty teaching it. And my course, uh, my elective course for that program is on threat intelligence and cybersecurity analytics, uh, because that's you know, what I've been doing for the last couple of years, you know, pretty nonstop. And it's really nice to be able to you know, have that academic, you know, public-private partnership and to help people identify risk and get over it, right? And to mitigate it and to shut down, you know, those open RDP servers, those open MySQL instances. And if you don't know about it, how can you possibly mitigate it? And so I like to think that, you know, in towards the path of change and, and awareness, you need to have awareness, exception, acceptance, and action. And so we're providing the awareness. You know, your CISOs and your security team have to kind of accept the validity of what we're saying about your score and your posture. And then eventually you have to take action and you have to shut stuff down or put up a firewall or, you know, um, but there are some, you know, some people out there that have like honeypots and we'll, we'll work with you. You know, if you actually have intentionally vulnerable infrastructure out there, let's say that you're FireEye and you want to do signals intelligence gathering, you know, we, we can take those IP address ranges for your honeypot networks and we can take them off of your scorecard. That's legitimate you know, reason, you know, deception programs make a lot of sense um, to be able to figure out what the bad guys are up to. And so you're never going to patch those, you know, honeypots, right? That's, that's the oldest trick in the book, though. Uh, that wasn't a security incident. That was a honeypot. <laughs> well, we need to have a reasonable assertion of uh, yes. truth on your side as to why we should take it off. But uh, even if you're not a paying customer, we want our data to be correct. To be accurate. So sure. you can actually open up a support ticket with us and not even be a paying customer. Huh. Mike, why? I, I mean, we, I've looked in a lot of this technology, as of many of us have, in doing external assessment, uh, you know, asset inventory to uh, discovering all kinds of different things. You know, a lot of these various tools and techniques and tactics are, are out there. And what, what I guess what separates an organization from doing it themselves versus going to security scorecard and, and kind of outsourcing that? Mm-hmm. Well, um, again, it's that declarative assets versus discovered assets um, perspective. Your, your, your real world de facto assets are always going to be a superset of what you think of as your declarative. And if you go to the network team and say, let's do a pen test. And what are we going to test? Well, we're going to test these 10 addresses and this IP address you know, and this app um, because this is a new feature and functionality that we're launching. And so that's good. You should do that. Um, but you don't know what you don't know, right? It's that classic... Uh, 
Rumsfeld, you know, the unknown unknowns. Right. Um, and well, so if, I also think it's like that. Help you discover that. It's like that unit testing versus QA versus users using it in production. As a developer, it's hard to test mm-hmm. your own code. I think is some of the reason why I would I would outsource it because you get that tunnel vision. Yeah, that's that's why we trust third parties, you know, to do pen tests, right? Because they're not biased. Right. They don't miss, you know, the glaring holes. You know, um, what was the uh, funny one that happened a while back? Um, somebody sent a whole bunch of emails through the FBI because yes. they had built some type of law enforcement agency website that was allowed you to send you know emails through their system because it was like a registration flow and so who the hell thought sorry my swearing who the heck thought it was a good idea to hook up this non-classified non you know mission critical site to the actual production fbi web servers and so someone was like trolling krebs right they sent an email saying krebs has a botnet on his forehead check the demark and the origin of these emails they came from the fbi and of course the fbi thought oh my god we've been breached and it turns out it wasn't right it was just a simple OWASP top 10 vulnerability on a brochure kind of site, you know, for law enforcement agencies um, to work with them. Okay. Just a note. Shit. Who let this man swear? <laughs> <laughs> Cursing's it's totally okay. allowed. We swear on the show. It's all right. It's totally allowed. Excellent. Uh, I wasn't I sure curious. if this is the uh, after 9 PM radio, um, you know, kind of uh, legislation about swearing. So. It is. Thankfully we are not regulated by any government entity. <clears throat> yeah. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully we I am curious, kind of, some of the the new things that you guys are working on, and how the change in threat landscape with things like you know DNS over HTTPS and web sockets being used, and IPv6 uh, to IPv4 proxy and relay stuff. Like, how does all of some of the newer technologies and, and what the attackers are adapting to? How does that play into your uh, risk? profile and uh, how are you adapting that and what kind of stuff are you moving towards in the future that's great um area to to ask the question um we're innovating you know left right and center to figure out new signals um we we've just um we have a quarterly release cycle and so this quarter we're releasing a whole bunch of new signals that we've gathered um and we're putting them in first as informational um ipv6 total nightmare Right, you can't scan all of IPv6. Um, people have written research papers. You know, I mean, it's it's like one IP address for every grain of sand on every beach, you know, uh, or every star in the in the universe. Um, and so we're going to have to have a totally different approach, you know, to dealing with what parts of IPv6 are actually lit up, um, and how can we scan them rather than just saying, oh, there's you know four billion you know, IPv4 addresses or whatever, and let's just scan all that. We built the infrastructure to do that. And we actually scan some of the high-risk geographies from within uh, those geographies. So we don't get lied to right by an F5. This is, oh, you're coming from security scorecard. You know, we have nothing to show you. Um, and that's more deception that we're starting to notice as well. So we scan China from within China and we scan Russia from within Russia. Uh, we have like 12 countries where we run our scanning infrastructure from. So think of Shodan, but we're at like 2,300 ports uh, that we're scanning now across all of IPv4. Um, so that's hopefully going to stay, you know, uh, but uh, people moving to more and more cloud service providers and having, you know, less and less, you know, attributable IP space, you know, that causes sparsity of signal. Uh, so we need to find other sources of information, uh, potentially partnerships with ISPs or with, you know, the people that are doing, you know, the SSL proxying, uh, like the blue coats and stuff like that, or the DNS over HTTPS, maybe Cisco, you know, Umbrella, which was the former 
Summer Project uh, Open DNS, you know, they still know who's querying which, you know, um, dot ru hack me now dot ru addresses and stuff on the inside, even if it isn't visible in the in the DNS um, databases that are out there that we um, access uh, to find that data. Uh, in terms of um, uh, what was the other one of the other technologies that you mentioned? Um, just you know, the, the cleverness of the bad guys um, uh, forces us to find new ways to to deal with um, with uh, you know finding their behavior. We've been uh, looking at NetFlow data, for example. Uh, NetFlow was really rich for us when we investigated Colonial Pipeline. We actually saw the 106 gigabytes of data get exfiltrated from the Colonial Pipeline server to a DigitalOcean server here in New York. We called law enforcement. It's like that scene in the movie, right, where someone puts a packet of uh, information on a, underneath a park bench in the spy films. Um, no one ever came and picked up that packet. Uh, we kept looking at the NetFlow data around that DigitalOcean server, and you know, Colonial Pipeline didn't pay the ransom because they didn't have backups. They paid the ransom because of the extortion play, right? And uh, now there's also a DDoS play, plus it's like double and triple extortion uh, on top of the ransomware. Uh, but yeah, Colonial Pipeline paid the $5 million because they didn't want that 106 gigs of data to be published on the dark web. And thankfully, it wasn't. And then miraculously, somehow someone traced down, you know, who was it um, that did Colonial? Was it uh, um, Darkside? I think they left it in a hot wallet that was in a custodial, you know, um, uh, uh, crypto space in Northern California. And so they recovered 85% of, of the ransomware. Uh, which is just unheard of, you know, in this kind of uh, day and age. With people should have taken that offline quickly if they had you know, all that money. Right? What you wonder yeah. what was in that hundred and six gigs worth of data, though? Uh, oh well, I'm sure it was uh, dangerous stuff. Um, actually, Colonial shut down the pipeline. Uh, this was something that I learned through Dragos. Um, uh, com. They do OT security stuff. Uh, operations. Yeah, technology. we know them well. Yeah, uh, was it Robert, was it the billing? Yeah. Was it really the billing systems? Did they publish that? It was the nomination system. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't shut it down out of a prevalence of of um, care and caution for the health and safety of the world. They did it because they just couldn't figure out how to much to charge people yep. for the mm-hmm. gas. Yep, absolutely. Um, and so that's very <laughs> not you know that's the, what, what do you call it? disingenuous kind of motivation actually. Right. Mm. Uh, but I love um, working in the oil and gas industry. I'm a part of the World Economic Forum's working group. Um, I was nominated. We're a technology pioneer, as was Dragos.com. That's how I met uh, Rob Lee. And uh, we're working on principles for governance at the oil and gas because, you know, Saudi Aramco had a really tough last couple of breaches as well. And, you know, so the, all these international players are together and we're doing white papers. I wrote one that was a case study on how to do event-based assessments. So for, forget this sending a questionnaire once a year. Um, we can have customers and we do have customers like Intel, for example, they have like 40,000 vendors in a portfolio mm-hmm. and they really have their finger on the pulse, right? Of their third party risk because they're not just sending a questionnaire out once a year. As soon as one of those customers has a data breach, um, has a score drop, uh, or even has a single CVE appear that they think of as high risk, it'll automatically send them an Atlas questionnaire, which is our way of doing like a SIGLite, SIGFUL, HIPAA, PCI, any kind of framework you might want. We have about 29 of them. You send them a questionnaire automatically, um, and that way you're automating and running at scale, third-party risk. Think of like Nike class, you know, supply chain risk or Apple, right? Apple got poached, you know, and and popped by someone in Taiwan that had access, right? And they tried to ransomware Apple and Apple said, screw you. And so they started to ransom, you know, uh, the the Taiwanese company. Uh, So it's all about third 
third and fourth party risk at this point because you know we're such a connected complex system of digital dependency uh, and software as well as entities uh, and providers uh, that you really do want to be able to you know survey um, potentially you know thousands of of, uh, of attack um, vectors and not have to have a 300 person vendor risk management team to do it Right. And, and part of that is the data, which, which you collect from various sources. Uh, I mean, and mm -hmm. I think, didn't you get mentioned by uh, John Oliver recently? Uh, I don't know if it was, we missed it. Um, we certainly had a reference in the, in the register, um, in, in, the, in Congress, uh, we submitted a report, uh, on the oil and uh, gas uh, pipeline. No, uh, risk. he did a he did a story on data brokers, and uh, it was not very complimentary on data brokers as a whole. Uh, and I think he mm -hmm. mentioned uh, your company because uh, you buy such significant quantities of information from uh, uh, from people uh, over. I, I'm not sure if you were named directly. Dimitri says he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, this is on Discord. Doesn't think you were named directly. I could have sworn you were, but I could be wrong. Um, but uh, it was on uh, access John brokers, show. Um, but some people do confuse us with that because, like, how come the bad guys, you know, don't just use you and log in and figure out who to attack? And it's like, believe me, the bad guys already have all this data. <laughs> it's it's the actual owners of the assets that don't know all of these things about their risk, and that's why we're here. The cobbler's make children, yeah, a better of course. Place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've also got a question on Discord: whether somebody who's not in that college can take your courses. Um, one of them. Um, I actually published 12 of my lectures on YouTube from my spring semester on information security uh, management. And I wax philosophic, you know, I use the Heraclitus quote, but I also talk about the nature of risk and uh, all sorts of things. Uh, the birth of cyberspace, I like to quote William Gibson, you know, and the birth of the term. And so I'm not your typical professor. Um, I'm a practitioner, you know, I've been, like I said, abusing computers, you know, since I had a 300 baud modem. Um, uh, and a Commodore 64. Although my first computer was a Timex Sinclair, actually with 2K at memory, um, but that kind of dates me. Uh, but I've been using the internet since the protocols. Like I was actually running a Gopher server um, at the at the Department of Education think tank in San Francisco, the Port 70, uh, University of Minnesota. Um, mascot is the gopher and then, and then along came port 80 right and ncsa mosaic and and i was working in san francisco at organic um and launched like i said starbucks macy's playstation i launched all of these websites for them ran the teams that built them and hosted them and uh it was just fascinating to see you know this this um you know technology spring up and and uh, my facility you know uh, with it was uh, you know a good uh, a good career path that I didn't know I was going to take uh, the reason I mentioned organic online it was one of the first web design houses when I walked into organic there was one server hosting Nike McDonald's Kinkos Levi's and uh, Kink and and Volvo and uh, the Apache Foundation Brian Bellendorf he was the CTO of organic at the time he created mod rewrite on organic time so that we could host all those websites behind one IP address. Oh, interesting. Was that before virtual hosting was in, introduced into Apache? Yeah, this is like Apache 1. You know, wow. 2 or something, you know, era. And uh, anyway, it was really great learning Apache from uh, Brian. That's like sitting at the masters, you know, feet yeah, and, yeah. and learning how to build Apache and, and like, harden it. Like how did you uh, most people's Did problems, you say you have yeah. have two degrees in philosophy? Yeah, I'm an undergraduate from UW-Madison and then uh, a master's in philosophy of education from Stanford. Did you, how, how did that help you in, in technology and security? 
that's an interesting trend. We talk a lot about how people get into the field, right? It's a really interesting yeah, transition. Yeah. yeah, I didn't study comp sci. Um, mm. my, my example here is if you're a sculptor, you make art and you, you know, chisels, right? And tools and, and, and marble. Um, you don't study chisels, right? It's like studying computer science to be a technologist is like studying chisels. I like to use computers as a tool for something else like education and, and communication and, and uh, commerce. And so for me, um, at first there were some head scratchers. People are saying like, I don't understand why, why, why should we hire you? You know, you, you don't have a degree in comp sci, you studied philosophy. I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, what did I study? I studied logic, right? Propositional mm -hmm. logic. Um, I studied, you know, analogies and metaphors and help explain things to exactly executives. And so there's a lot of skills now, as I look back, that really helped me uh, to be able to be down in the weeds technical and understand, you know, uh, uh, DNS. I, I wrote a book for Cisco Press in 2002 for a certification that doesn't exist anymore, um, Cisco Internet Solution Specialist. And uh, it's funny, you know, I mean, there's so much detail, um, but a lot of people get lost in those weeds and never find their way back to be able to talk to someone like my parents and to be able to explain the nature of some of these you know, happenings on the internet um, and why we need to you know, improve and move away from passwords and try to get to passwordless authentication and things like that. And so I think it's been really helpful to be good at analogies and metaphors. And I use them a lot when I speak with people and I don't have to teach them anything. I just have to say, you know, this thing that, you know, it's kind of like this other thing that you don't know, and this is the relationship. And then they go, ah, right. It's um, almost like, um, you know, that drawing of the duck that looks like a rabbit. And we're not going to argue about the dots on the page, right? Those should be the facts, right? The ink on the mm -hmm. page. Um, but it's, it's called like a gestalt. Uh, and so you yeah. switch your gestalt. When you see the rabbit, you can't see it as the duck anymore. And so I don't need to teach people things to change their understanding of technology. I just need to find some really good gestalt shifts and help them realize that they already have what they need to know to go about prioritizing the risk and doing risk-based assessments and running a program and, and figuring out what to do next. Mike, I've been Mike, that's a very, so long, uh, right? it's very philosophical look on the issue. <laughs> it, it is, and I, I like to inject that I obviously I you know, oh, into good. my students. So. Well, I think if also, I had a Marvel character, um, I, I think my my Marvel origin story would be like Professor Eclecticus. You've spent some time thinking about that, haven't you? Which people is great. have asked me who's my favorite, you know, superhero, and that's of course I think Iron Man because he's not a god, a mutant, or you know, um, his alien. his power um, and his weapon is his brain, is is his intellect. Yeah. which I I always yeah, I've he's been got some issues. He's got some sure. trust issues. You know, sure. that's why Ultron came into a being, right? But, yes, um, yes, for sure. Some trust issues. Some trust yeah. issues. I also I think if you go to a dark space sometimes, but yes. now of course you know if if you saw what happened, you know, in Infinity War and. Uh, Endgame. I was not there to protect Iron Man at that point. I had already left Marvel. So. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the story arc for me is really about Tony Stark in, in Iron Man, which I, I really enjoyed that arc. Uh, and I thought they did a great job with it. I also, Doctor Strange is one of my favorite Marvel characters as well. Yeah, that's I, true. He's a mere mortal as well. Love it. Love it. Um, oh, analogies. I love that you're able to... Like, I think some analogies that we make in cybersecurity to things outside of cybersecurity, like some are like not good at all. Some are just okay. And some like really are awesome, right? And those are the ones I think we really need to gravitate towards. Um, mm -hmm. I thought Jack Resider did a great job when he was interviewing HD Moore in his most recent episode when he talked about exploits and payloads 
He said the exploit is the needle and the payload is what's inside the syringe. Like, okay, that mm. one that one holds up. Like I like I like that. So I like analogies, like you said, Mike, that you can explain to your parents and your friends who are not in cybersecurity or technology at all and at all and allow them to understand at least certain aspects. I've got a good one for you. Um, I didn't invent this one, but I discovered it. You remember Spectre and Meltdown, right? Yeah. And so I asked this when I interviewed candidates, like, explain to me the vulnerability, right? Because it was, what, um, speculative execution in the silicon, right, of the actual CPU. If it's evaluating an if-then clause, it'll actually evaluate both outcomes and figure out what it needs, right? Speculative execution. Mm -hmm. um, but how do you explain that to, um, you know, like I said, an executive? And why did the whole world have to just stop everything, right, and patch for this firmware, hardware-level, etched-in-silicon problem uh, where user space was violated and you could get into kernel space. Right. And the analogy I found was a fast food restaurant. So a fast food restaurant at, at lunch. Um, everyone's lined up you know, to the drive through window and they start making and ordering hamburgers. Um, the analogy here is the CPUs had to be faster, right? And so Intel and, and all the others were working on these different ways to do that. And speculative execution was one of the ways. Um, the vulnerability, though, meant that if you walk up or you know, drive up to the window and you order a burger and you get it in 30 seconds, it came off of the cache, a.k.a. the heat lamp, and it was made before you actually ordered it. Mm. And then you can take advantage of these vulnerability to know what the person in line uh, ordered. Right. And that's the cool analogy. And of course, if it took them a minute to, to deliver your burger, then it would it came you know, from you know, actual memory space and it wasn't uh, out of cash. And so for me, this was a useful analogy to share. And I like to share as much of this cleverness as I can um, that I find um, to help people and give them that explanatory power. Because I think Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities are coming back. Right. There's a couple of recent um, resurgences of that. And people had to sort of fuzz, you know, the web browser time granularity because, again, cash be exploited and if it comes back really fast you knew it came off of the cache uh, so side loading attacks um, for spectre and meltdown was one of my favorite examples of, of how to use um, a powerful analogy yeah and they don't always work some people make analogies and they don't they don't work as well so i think arming folks with analogies that do work mike like you just did is is important yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a skill. Um, you have to actually be able to be like a systems thinker, um, mm. and not just say you know that you know like what was it uh, log for shell? You know, um, lots of uh, lots of people were wondering how to figure out you know the expanse of this, and and I looked at some <clears> of the stuff that Sonatype published about uh, Apache struts, right? Um, that was the Equifax breach in 2017. And they wrote a really great blog piece that talked about how we still see people downloading vulnerable versions of Struts 2. Mm -hmm. Like 37% of all downloads, you know, this last month or last week were for vulnerable versions. So that means Log4Shell, because it's so much more ubiquitous, is going to be the source of lots of root cause analysis for breaches for the next five years. Because we're in 2022 and, you know, Equifax was in 2017. And so we're, we're still doing a really bad job at the basics. You know, we don't have to get all sexy about zero days, you know, and, and pay attention to the shiny thing. Um, but it's important for us to do the basics, do it well. And I think, you know, tools like ours, you know, can really help people identify who's not doing the basics well. Although we can label being on the latest version of a particular software as basics, we all know that sometimes is not very basic. It's very counterintuitive <laughs> with all the people that were on log for shell one dot X and right? like, or all right. the people that hadn't downloaded the latest solar winds. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but the fact that they're still downloading it, like that's very telling of the problem of how much work it is to actually upgrade your software to be in the latest application server or whatever, you know, library or whatever it is. We somehow constructed software very poorly that, that we painted ourselves in a corner like that. Yeah, or these people that are like, um, I don't know, they have like a date, you know, NPM module um, and the, the thing's downloaded like 10 million times a week, you know, you know, that's supply chain risk, right? Yes. If someone decides yes. to mess with that. And this happened actually prior to SolarWinds. Mm-hmm. The big poster child for supply chain risk was uh, EventStream, an NPM package that mm-hmm. someone figured out was used in a lot of crypto wallets. And so they actually, this is a sub-zero day, I call it, um, because they actually joined the EventStream, picked up a shovel and started doing work, and they actually injected a backdoor into EventStream. Once it had finally showed up, that's when they started siphoning off millions of dollars of crypto. Yeah, I think it's those attacks that are gonna they're gonna haunt us for some time. So, or the people yeah. that are wiping, you know, um, Ukrainian and Russian, you know, stuff um, because it's a protest wear, um, you know, or one of the best defenses I heard people say that you could do for Russian malware is just install the Russian keyboard and locale on your servers, and then it it'll just stay asleep. Mm. Um, <laughs> it won't deploy phase two behaviors because it's oh, this is a comrades machine. Let's not do anything bad here. Yeah. Certainly. What questions for Mike, Josh, Tyler, Larry? I'm good. I'm kind of impressed. Well, thank you. I'll take that as the compliment that I believe it was intended to be. So. I love it yeah, was. and I, I love the the philosophy tie-in, Mike. I thought that was really that was really good. And I enjoyed your analogies and I hope our audience did too, because I thought they were really good. And well, thanks. Yeah, I um, like I said, uh, look for those twelve lectures. You know that I have. Um, there's a lot of my sort of uh, thirty years of, of experience and wisdom that you know I've been teaching to the NYU students, and I wanted to give it away because I didn't think that class I'd be teaching it again. Mm. I was teaching a new class. Um, I was asked to guest lecture on uh, uh, a hybrid class with uh, NYU IT uh, department in Tandon and, and their law, um, because I, you know, intellectual property and law and, and infosec is a, an interesting new space. You might call it like privacy engineering and things like that. Uh, but anyway, they, they had me guest lecture and I came in and, and they had to reschedule it though, because um, I needed to swap with one of the other guests uh, lecturers, uh, which was um, Keith, uh, General Keith Alexander. And so I thought, well, I'm starting to keep really good company now on my talks and uh, <laughs> I have a unique perspective, I think, to bring given that philosophy piece. So awesome. I, I, awesome. I love that you appreciate it. So thank yeah, you. We're, we're working on getting General Alex, Alexander on the show. Mike, we just have five questions left for you. Are you ready to play five questions with Security Weekly? Do it. Bring it. <clears throat> Three words to describe yourself. Uh, jazz, traveling, philosopher. If you were a serial killer, what would be your weapon of choice? Oh, I don't know. I suppose uh, nitrous oxide, laughing gas. Huh. If you were to book about yourself, what would the title be? Oh, Tools for Thought. This is a book I actually do want to write. There you uh, go. That's awesome. Uh, help people with critical thinking. In the age of information, ignorance is a choice. And a bit, at least 54% of this country um, chooses to be ignorant right now. So I'd like to try to fix that. What is your favorite hacker movie? Uh, I'm going to go with Mr. Robot, even though it's a TV series. Sure, it's except, the only one that actually that. has real technology in it, like, you know, sure. um, femtocells, rubber duckies, Kali Linux. Nice. Choose two celebrities to be your parents, alive, dead, fictional, or otherwise. 
two celebrities. Well, I can't imagine any cooler dad than George Clooney, right? I mean, he's got Ooh. the voice, he's got the the bravado, you know, the Ocean's films. Um, and then uh, a fictitious uh, mother figure. Hmm. Actually, I'm going to go with Laurie Anderson. I don't know if you know her. She's a performance artist. Um, she was married to Lou Reed. And, you know, she's just huh. a goddess. She's amazing. Um, she said something when he was admitted to the... Uh, hall of fame when he passed away and uh, she said every person dies three times once when their heart stops beating once when they're you know cremated or buried in the ground and once when someone says their name for the last time last time and so yeah. i just think she's just so am amazing and, and brilliant and, and i love her stuff so um i'll go with the celebrity laurie anderson and george clooney couple mike thank you so much for appearing on paul security weekly well, this has been fun, and uh, I'm happy to uh, have spent the time with you tonight. Uh, and thanks all. And anyone wants to uh, ask me questions, um, shoot me an email. I'm very accessible. And, uh, you know, enjoy, be safe, and uh, stay curious. For folks that want to learn more, you can visit securityweekly.com forward slash security scorecard. Coming up next, the lovely Amanda Berlin. Stay tuned. Cybercriminals are working overtime. Last year in the fourth quarter alone, phishing attacks disguised as COVID testing information increased by 521%. Barracuda has identified 13 types of email threats and how cybercriminals use them to steal money from your company or personal information from your employees and customers. Find out about the 13 email threat types and how Barracuda can provide complete email protection for your teams, your customers, and your reputation. Get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. If you have a specific guest or topic you'd like us to cover on one of the upcoming shows, submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests. Complete that form. We review those on a regular basis. Joining us now is Amanda Berlin, lead incident detection engineer at Blue Mira, as well as the CEO and owner of the nonprofit Mental Health Hackers, as well as podcast host on Breaking Down Security and security trainer. Amanda, welcome to the show. We got a lot to talk about, apparently. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> oh my God, can I do the Thanks animal? <laughs> Uh, so good to see you. Yeah, Sorry. it's good to see you, Amanda. It's oh, nice to have things. you. Yes, yeah, nice to have you back on the show. Thanks, yeah, for, being thanks on. for having me on. This is this is time number three. Right, and, and like apparently you've I been a, you've been a slacker in the meantime because you clearly got nothing going <laughs> <Right>? on. <laughs> like, and you're nope. and you're a mom and the, uh, right. amongst all those other things. So yeah, you're, yeah, that's you're amazing, dude. No. That's, that's awesome. Thanks. That's good stuff. Where do we want to start? I just don't right? sleep. Right, sleep, sleep. What's that, that? One we're <laughs> that one we're dead. What's that? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so uh, I haven't seen you at a conference because, like, the whole pandemic thing. Um, but right. you're you're planning to you you did some virtual stuff and you're planning to get back to actual conferences. Yeah, yeah. I've I, I think I've I mean over the last what two and a half years I think I've maybe been to two conferences. Um, mm. and those were really really tiny. I mean, I did go to the last DefCon and there was not a whole lot of people there right um but yeah yep i'm gonna i'll be at besides charm i'm gonna go to rsa uh and i'll be first time speaker there which is super exciting um and what else wild west hacking fest 
You were fun. at um, you were at Layer Eight. You were here in Rhode Island. I was. And what's funny is you you yes. met my, you met my oldest son. We were talking about our kids because that's what we do now. Because we're all older now. We got kids and <laughs> right. stuff. Uh, you met my oldest sure. son who was at that at that conference, right. play, playing with all the trinkets at the mental health yeah. hackers. Right, right, right. Um, but how you've been on talking about mental health hackers, right? And right. Um, but like, how did that change during the pandemic? I think we all struggled with. Dude like interesting aspects of mental health that we would have never considered had there not been lockdowns and masks and right. and a lot of like so much FUD, like in the most amount of FUD. Yeah. I mean, we said we have FUD in cybersecurity, like the FUD around COVID was in med yeah, like, medicine is insane. Yeah. Unbelievable proportions. How did that affect? Yeah. I mean, did you change your strategy on mental health hackers now coming out of this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like what, like our, our big thing during conferences is it's a place to go unwind and find some peace and quiet and talk about some mental health stuff or just sit and like chill. Right. And not be on screens or not be inundated with information. When you go to like an online conference, uh, you don't want to just go to another like zoom hangout room or something and yeah. just like be quiet. Like that right. doesn't really transfer super well um so we tried that a couple times doing like our own little rooms with online conferences and it just didn't it didn't transfer over super well so it's kind of hard to do like, a couple it's hard to do like flarp over zoom right <laughs> <laughs> we did some yoga we did some zoom yoga that's yeah interesting yeah 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 i mean we do zoom yoga at work every like wednesday but I don't know. It's not the same thing. It's not. Um, I feel. So, I, yeah. I feel like with yoga and martial arts and all those kind of things, like being in person is really yep. where it's at. I, I will like attest. I, to, I will yeah. attest. To yeah, because we did. We did some virtual martial arts with my kids and stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like it's just not the same. Like there's something about mm -mm. going to a place that's separate from your home, being with people who all have the similar goals in the same in similar mindsets. Of you're just going to practice this. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. It could be Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It could be Tai Chi. Sure. Whatever it is, like you're all on the same goal and you kind of get in that, that whole mindset. Yeah. So, I mean, so we did a couple other things. So we did some online like painting classes. We had a whole bunch of people that like had never painted before. Yeah. And we had somebody lead some painting classes. That's so fun. we, we had a couple, yeah, we had a couple of sponsors for that and we like packaged up paint kits. So like, you know, the brushes awesome. and the canvases and everything and like send it out to a whole bunch of people. Uh, that is when I learned, that is when I learned not to offer international shipping for that stuff. Correct. Mm. Wicked expensive. <laughs> because, I know. Because, yep. you know, when there's like 10 people in India or like Japan or something that want a kit and it costs more yeah. to ship it than it did to buy all of your supplies. We went through that dude with uh, with t-shirts, right? Because international yeah. listeners like, uh, and I, I love all of our listeners I'm and you don't want, I don't want, right. you don't want to leave your listeners or it's people that want to participate or just like, dude, I want a hack naked shirt. Like, and you feel bad. I'm like, it's going to cost me more to ship you this shirt than it costs <coughs> like me to print up five shirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like yeah. 80, 80 bucks per box to mm -hmm. ship. So like, now it's going to be like us and canada only um so we did that a couple times we did mental health uh feel good boxes so you know how you have like the subscription boxes that you can like yep. sign people up for yeah um you could like go on our website and be like oh well this person that i know 
Um, I know they're having a rough time, right? Like with, with the pandemic specifically or with work in general, like really anything you could just like kind of be like, I nominate this person and I want you to send them like a kit of stuff. And because, you know, we're all in information security, we never asked for like any personal information, just like what's their Twitter handle or like some public way to contact them. So that way we could be like, hey, you were anonymously um, uh, submitted for this. Like, this is what we're doing. Do you feel yeah. okay giving us your address? Yeah, please send we me. Some I'm some random we... person who says you've won a prize. Send me your address. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> over. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there were only a couple people that said no. Yeah. Yeah. I, so can, that's I, can, fine. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. So like, I, I mean, I, I did it through our official Twitter and like, I'm like, you can like, look at my, my personal profile if you right, want to. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it worked out pretty good. Um, so like doing stuff like that, just trying to find something that we could do, mm. uh, that, that would help. Right. And that's that's pretty much what we have done. Yeah. So far. Like mental health and uh, interactions with people is like a weird thing. Right. Like yeah. some people, I think, like let's talk pre pandemic. They were kind of like some people are like introverts. Like I don't want to interact with people. But then you get yeah. into the pandemic and they're like, well, wow, now I'm really separated from people. And that's that's kind of oh. weird. Right. And some of our therapy, even if we were introverts, was actually being around people, which is kind of weird, right? Because right. we, we would hang out. I mean, you would do the mental health hackers. Like, we would hang out. And it's like, sure. yeah, I'm kind of introverted, but I kind of feel like hanging out with other people who are introverted <laughs> is therapy. Like, it's really, it's a weird thing. The mind is a very interesting, yeah. interesting thing, right? Yeah, agreed. What kind of what kind of lessons do you think we've learned from a corporate standpoint uh, with like Blue Mirror? Like, what kind of things have you guys transitioned to? How are you uh, making some of the hybrid stuff and applying some of the mental health things for InfoSec directly to your day job? Um, sure. how, how do we kind of um, make those transitions? Yeah, so there's a really good website called uh, I think it's workplacementalhealth.org. I'll have to check and make sure, but it's run by the American Psycholo uh, Psychological Association. And they have like a whole bunch of resources for actual companies on how to run good mental health programs and like bake it into what you're doing at every company. Um, us personally at Blue Mera, like since I started, like I was like all in on that kind of stuff. So um, we've had like our, our CTO's wife is a yoga instructor. So she does yoga every Wednesday and we do a meditation every Monday morning. Um, we just recently started, um, doing random company holidays. So like this, like, uh, this Friday we have off because, uh, we just haven't had, uh, a regular holiday in a while. So they're just like, Oh, Friday is a company holiday. Um, and, and we're really big about the the work-life balance. I think like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have been working from home for forever, right? Like this is year seven or eight or something for me. Uh, so I was used to it, but you have a whole bunch of people that were definitely not used to working at home. And they went through what I'm sure a lot of us also went through is, oh my gosh, I'm in my office all the time. I have my laptop with me all the time. I'm going to work you know, 80 hours a week because I can and I'm not stepping away from it. 
Um, and I think, I think it took people a bit to realize that, uh, that was a thing. Um, I, and I'm imagining like some companies aren't even getting over it. Right. But some, I mean, I think, I feel like software is a unique under like not just software, but like security companies and stuff is a unique industry where we can usually recognize that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I think raising awareness about it's important. I but I also think there's a there's like the stages of working from home. Like you could totally create. I remember uh, Vinnie Lou creating like the the mental health stages of a pen test. Yes, and like remember that? And he he Bishop Fox now is like a giant. I'm so happy for Vinny. I was like, wait, I'm like, oh, that's I'm like that makes total sense now. Everything that I remember Vinny talking about, like that's totally the vision for his company at at Bishop Fox. But I remember Vinny back in the day and he like hand drew it out, which really made for like a great effect of like the mental health stages. I forget what he called it, it the mental health stage of a pen test. Like you're super excited. And so the happiness aspect of the graph is like you're super because you're starting a pen test. You're like, this is exciting. And like you get through the first phase and you're like, Oh, I haven't found anything, and like you know, your your self worth like goes down, and then you oh, like I found some like this one thing, and like it goes up, and then you know all the way through like oh, I've completed it, and this is great, and now I got to do reporting, and now my happiness like goes really like way down. (laughs) I feel like working from home is the same thing. Like you're super excited, like I got my first work from home job. This is great. I don't have to fight traffic. I don't have to go in the office. Like I'm I'm all set up, and then like you know it ends with oh my god, I'm working 80 hours a week because I don't know when to turn it off. And oh my god. I have to get I on another people. Zoom call. Yeah. yeah. I have to get on hey, another you, Zoom call. You miss people. You're like, holy right. crap. Like, I'm not interacting with any people. And you're like, I miss the outside. I miss actually going places. And yeah. Yeah. And I now I got to go do Zoom karate. Go conferences and actually see people and get lots of hugs and everything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait. Is Zoom karate a thing? It, it is. is. <laughs> oh, my. Yep. We did it yeah. for almost two years. Zoom everything is a thing now. Yes. Yep. <clears throat> I'd be like breaking the desk or the computer or the mo- something. That, you, that I'm not as coordinated. You're not wrong. Mm. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> yep. But it, I mean, yeah. thankfully things are, are opening up and we're we're getting out. But what's mm-hmm. interesting, what I what I've found talking with people, and Amanda, you were agreeing with me on this point that I think both when we look at conferences uh, today and moving forward that speakers and attendees, I think we're in kind of the same boat, right? Whether you're just attending or speaking or doing whatever at a conference, doesn't matter. You're kind of in the same boat of, I'm gonna be really selective now. Like I've 20, like early 2020 and previous, God, we're going to all the things, right? Yep. And then oh, yeah. Pandemic oh, yeah. hit and then the peak, like I'm going anywhere. And like, maybe you've done some stuff like more recently and now things are open up and you're like, you know what? I kind of like this more balanced approach of I don't want to yes. be home all the time, but I don't want to be traveling all the time. So therefore, when I do travel, I'm going to be very selective about where I go and how often that I do it. And speakers and attendees are all in the same boat in this aspect. Yep. Yeah. I was going to like 16 conferences a year. Mm. Good God. Like 14, 16 conferences. And it was I thought I enjoyed it at the time. Right. Until you don't do it. <laughs> and then, yeah. And you did like, enjoy well, I really it. like being at home. But I also feel like, it, but, but like then but, you go home and stay home for two yeah. or three years and you're like, you know, I, I, I kinda like seeing my family. I know weird. Right? 
Yeah. But I feel right? like we all we all need to strategize too and be like, all right, like what conferences are we gonna go to? Like cause I think there's gonna be this great separation of like truly local conferences, which doesn't require mm-hmm. if any travel at all. Like I gotta drive somewhere. We went to one at a local university and it was great to see everyone and, and hang out. But that was like I drove to the office for the day. I didn't have to really travel, right? right? Um, yep. And then, you know, there are ones that are more national or international. Like, which ones are we all going to go to, right? Like, which ones are going to remain local and which ones are going to remain maybe U.S.-centric and which ones are going to be truly international, right? You get RSA and you've right. got Black Hat and DEF CON as your truly very large international style conferences, right? Wh- which are the ones where we're yep. going to maybe all agree on that we're going to start to go to or maybe there's certain we need to talk more be strategic an app to collaborate this i agree tyler which friends are going to which ones we can all vote and upvote and have a poll that way we know which ones we want to go to because our friends are all going to be there yeah because like what happened with schmoocon i i just like totally dropped the ball and also like my friends are texting me like hey dude like where are you i'm like well, shit. I'm sitting in my underwear in my living room. I'm like, I didn't get yeah. I'm like, dude, exactly. Like, I'm sitting in my underwear watching TV. I'm like, crap. Like, I totally should have went to that. It wasn't that far that. away. And it's not. Now, like, for us, you know, DC's an hour flight, if that. So, yeah. Yeah. We need to talk. So, has anybody ever added up the time they spent away on the road going to conferences before we got into the pandemic? No, no, no. We don't do those kind of, that kind of math. Later. Yeah, it's no, depressing. No, no, no. We don't do that. It's depressing. That's government wealth. Yeah, that's yeah. the blissfully unaware part of the thing. Like right. you know, you don't want to. I don't want to know that. Yeah. So like, I think the gauge is with your spouse. Like, are we are we around each other too much or like not enough? Like, what's the sweet spot here? <laughs> like that's for me. Like me and my wife. Like like, she's like, canary. Yeah, she's kind of yeah. like yeah, like you know, maybe maybe it's time you go on a trip. Like yep. without all of us, <laughs> we, totally fine. We, like we this other that. trip, we want to go with you because that's cool. I'm like, uh, that that's yeah. cool too. And this like this other trip. Like maybe it's international and it's at a bad time or whatever, and I'm like, okay, we won't we won't go to that one. I mean, that's truly how I, mm-hmm. me personally, yeah, we're we're, sure we're, the same yeah, we're boat, having right? the, we're having yeah. the same thing, but it's even more it's even a little bit better than than that. Like we get to the end of the week and it'll be like a Saturday or a Sunday on the weekend, and like we'll have, you know done some stuff as a family in the in the morning or in the afternoon early afternoon, and maybe done some cleaning around the house, and I'll just say, hey, uh do you mind if I go up to the workshop for a couple hours and like tinker and put around with something? Yeah. And the answer is usually yes, please do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but also it's the other way too. Your spot, my, you know, my wife is like, I'm going on vacation with my girlfriends. I'm like, yeah, you should do, uh-huh. you should do that because like when I go to a conference, really kind of like i'm going away with my girlfriends <laughs> like we're all just kind of like larry and Wait, tyler and the, the, no, we're transparent not, not about your, that not your girlfriends not right well Wait, i mean well, metaphorically maybe. speaking right, right metaphorically right. speaking like i'm hanging out with Hi, my Shannon. friends like yeah like shannon knows that yeah. and and we're just now fully i just have this picture of like all you dudes in a bikini in vegas like there i mean kind of <laughs> don't don't tempt me yeah, don't tempt that's oh. kind of how it <laughs> I mean, we've all been in kilts hanging out together before, so it's really I, nothing, right. right? It's not that much of a stretch. Yeah, yeah. I thought the bikinis were optional. Uh, in we Vegas, didn't, we didn't tell you that. I mean, it's only were, but we told you, Tyler, that you had to wear a bikini. Yeah, Tyler, that's only at Pool Two at the Oxus Park that they're optional. You set him up with his waxing appointment, didn't you? We don't need to. Tyler has that nailed. I I would imagine yeah. Tyler has that like the wilderness must very be well scheduled planned. Oh out. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh boy. It will yeah. be good to get back to into a. I think we'll all fall into a groove 
of going to conferences yeah. because I mean, when I was, um, we haven't released it yet, but I've, uh, working on a new podcast called Hacker Heroes and when Schwartow and I were talking about the importance of continuing the community, uh, insecurity, yeah. like how, like pre pandemic, it maybe it was a little too much. Like we kind of had too much going on on the conference circuit mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Like there clearly wasn't enough. Like hallway con is way too important uh, to just leave behind. And I'd like to see us as a community now move into like a, a nicer schedule where we all get to hang out, but aren't too stressed about, you know, Amanda, your point traveling 16 plus times a year just for conferences. It might, might yeah. be too much. Yeah. Uh, right. I think we're all kind of little, I'm hoping we're all looking at things a little smarter. I mean, I had a, a request to come speak at a conference that overlapped another conference I'd already signed up for. Yep. And there was another event that weekend in the past. I would have tried to do all three. And it's yes. like, this is stupid. Um, yep. You got to have fun. Yeah. You don't want to stress yourself out, you know, doing that three conference in a row mm -hmm. kind of thing. Cause that's burn. I mean, speaking to mental health hackers, right. I think some of it spoke to burnout, Amanda, because we're all working mm -hmm. some kind of job like yourself. We probably got some kind of side gig or 12 yeah. <laughs> and we're doing conferences <laughs> too, right? You can only spend, and we've right. fa got families and kids and spouses and whatever. Like, you know, you don't want to spread yourself too thin. You got to live life. Right. It's a balance. Yeah. Not to say that we're all nailing the work-life balance. I think it's something we all work on all the time. Yeah. And sometimes we get it wrong and that's yeah definitely that's okay and you, you, know, yeah. you make you make some course corrections so uh speaking of speaking you're speaking at rsa for the first time Are i am you and excited and twice i'm speaking twice excited yeah. nervous like what yes both. <laughs> both. <Yeah. laughs> yes why not both <laughs> i hear you uh no. yeah so i i am speaking so uh, speaking of not getting burnt out and going on a bunch of travel stuff, I'm so I live in Northern Ohio. Uh, the Friday before RSA, I'm driving to Milwaukee to go to take my kids to a concert, which is like eight hours. Uh, concert Saturday night, driving back early Sunday morning because my flight leaves for um, RSA Sunday evening because my talk my panel talk is at 8.30 in the morning on Monday. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so, I thought we were trying you, to you not have the stress and burnout. I know. Something health no, I know. you might want to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's like, I need to take my own advice. But it should be fine. I should not. I should not miss anything. Uh, not going to. But yeah, I'm going to be on a panel with a bunch of cool uh, guys talking about Zero Trust. Um, okay. We don't talk yeah. about Zero Trust. And I, uh, right? No, no, no. <laughs> and while I know a lot about Zero Trust, not a lot, I guess I know a bit about Zero Trust, but um, uh, I was I came up through the normal way of setting up a network, right? It was still mm -hmm. least privileged, but you still have like what every small to medium business has right yeah like, everything everything can talk to everything can talk to everything like you'd harden sure. active directory on-prem yeah, yeah, you yeah. may have like some right. vlans and like some firewalls and crap but like definitely not zero trust so i don't know why they have me on the panel uh I mean, I know a couple reasons. Well, but... <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that your experience <laughs> certainly qualifies sure. to be on that panel amanda sure uh, and <laughs> 
Uh, and yeah, so that's, that's actually really exciting. Um, because I've learned a lot about zero trust over the last year, uh, in preparation <clears throat> for that. And then, wait, did you say uh, your panel, talk- hold on, your panel is at eight thirty in the morning. Yeah. And you're, you're coming from Ohio. So that's really, is that seven thirty or six thirty for you? Six. 30. No, that would be the other way. That would oh, be. Oh, it's the other way. 11, it's the other way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. 11, oh, okay. Well, you got that going. Yep. That's good. Yeah. You can still can sleep, sleep in. in. I'll be fine. Yeah. Right. What kind of uh, what kind of things have you done to kind of prepare for RSA versus like some of the other conferences? I'm I'm kind of curious because it is such a uniquely high level executive premier conference. I, I guess. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. I was talking to Paul about that on mm. on like the pre call thing. So. Um, so that's on zero trust. And then my other one's on Sysmon. So um, I've never, I don't think I've ever spoken to that level of audience before um, in that aspect, right? Like I've talked to, I've talked to C-levels and like whatever in, in smaller contexts. Um, so what I've been doing to prepare for both of those is a lot of research. Um, and I mean, Sysmon I work with every day. Um, because it's on like threat hunting and building detections around Zisman. And that's literally like half of my job. So that I didn't have to prepare too much. Uh, that was just like looking through customer data and actually finding legitimate use cases that other people could use around detecting, um, uh, using it. Yeah. And And my advice, Amanda, was that I think the RSA audience is a, a really big mix, Tyler, to your point. Um, I think there's some super technical people all the way up through like not super technical people, but people in cyber, maybe at that executive level in the audience. And if you tailor right. to one, you know, kind of crowd or the other, like you're going to get dinged in your reviews. So like you need to kind of co- uh, like in those situations, I'm I almost lean, cover all of it, but mm. I almost lean a little more technically because I, I don't the people that yeah. are higher level may not complain, especially if you do a great job explaining the technical things, which I know you will. Right. Um, so that that yeah. would be my advice. And that's kind of the mistake. I was, a, I think, a little too high level um, when I spoke okay. at RSA that one time and I spoke before and it, and it, and it was OK. But that other time, like I, I didn't get the audience as, as well <clears> as I should have. <throat> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I'm, and I also am preparing by practicing a ton. I'm not done with my talk yet. Uh, we just had to, re- we just had to turn in our first drafts the other day. Um, so I have a lot of polishing to do and I want to practice it a whole bunch just so the actual presentation of it's polished. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I mean, this is different, I guess. Um, but I'm not one of those people that can just stand up and talk about a topic and make it make sense and flow well. <laughs> Yeah, but even uh, I I, even those that, yeah, but even those of us that maybe have pulled that off, I I still think that practicing is yeah. like guarantees oh, yeah. your success. Like, sure, there have been times when I've stood up, done the slides the night before, and I'm like, ah, like that went great. Usually, though, that's when it's a more technical talk, and you're talking to a technical audience. You can get yes. away with that, right? I yes. think it's when it's a mixed audience or a higher level audience that you need to <laughs> practice way more. And I think in either case, regardless. Practice makes perfect when it comes to presenting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm doing so far. <laughs> that's awesome. And and now mental health hackers is that there is there a presence for that at RSA or no? No. Mm-mm. So you're at some of the other conferences, but you've built up, changed gears a little bit. You've uh, kind of built up a a network of folks that are are running that, which is yeah, that's a great Thank next goodness. stage of this. Uh, you know 
company, if you will, that you created, right? I mean, it's oh, it's yeah. not, not for profit, but it's a company. Yep. Yeah. So we just like what we normally do in our villages. If and I don't know how many listeners have or watchers have, have been, but um, like we have a lot of information around mental health. And then we have like blow up loungers that you can like go take a nap or you can color or you can knit or you can play with fidget toys. Um, there's like soft music and little lighting and a bunch of other stuff. So I just package all that stuff in like one of these big gray totes and zip lock it shut <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, just UPS it to whoever is going to run it for me. So we have, um, I think five or six kits just in random places in the U S now. Hmm. That's awesome. So uh, what conference is coming up, uh, Amanda, can we, can we see the uh, mental health hackers and experience that? Besides charm, Colonel Con, Wild West Hacking Fest, Deadwood. Um, Wait, hold on, go back. So for our audience, besides charm, where, where, and roughly when? Uh, that's Baltimore in two weeks. Okay. And then Colonel uh, Con, I've seen uh, a reference to Colonel Con recently. Where is where is it's that? It's in Kansas. <laughs> Kansas City yeah. is, is one of those. It's weird. So like, uh, there's a Kansas City in every state. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think it's like at least two. At least know. two that I know. Of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there is a Kansas, Ohio, uh, but it's Got not two. there. It's in like, the, I think the state of Kansas. Um, soon. I don't know exactly when. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, a, I'm just like any background you have on those on those conferences because sure, I saw sure. a reference to Colonel yeah. Con like the, the other day. I wore my Colonel Con T-shirt the yeah. other day. Yeah, and we tweeted out from Hackers Health, so we like make sure people know we're going to be there. Mm. Um, let's see here. We just finished two. Oh, Colonel Con 2022, Wednesday, March 30th, uh, to Saturday, April 2nd, uh, in oh. Omaha, Nebraska. Okay, sorry, Nebraska. They're all, they're all in flyover states. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yes. Ouch. You know Kansas she has this wonderful. Really we say it ouch because he's literally in a flyover state in Idaho. So it's same, silent. man. Same. Yeah. I'm supposed to ask you about Blue Team Con. Oh yes, Blue Team Con. Blue Team Con's on there. Um, we're gonna try and do. DEFCON. We were a f- we were like rejected officially from the villages, but uh, we're gonna try and do our own thing in like a suite. Mm. Nice. So maybe. Besides DC. Um, besides DC. Besides DC. I know. I need to talk. I know. I need to talk to you about that. Yes. Um, you know. Do we know anybody Texas we should Cyber hook Summit? her up with for besides there? DC. Yeah, because uh, jo- <laughs> well, jo- Josh, you're involved with multiple besides in your yes, kind of I'm, area, I'm on, like you, because you're kind I, of in the like Virginia, Maryland, DC. I feel like you're involved with conferences in that in that general vicinity, right? Yeah, uh, I run besides Delaware. I'm on the yep. board of besides DC. Um, apparently, I'm being voluntold to help with besides Philly. And Naus, who runs, you, you might have heard of her, runs LV, lives like 30 minutes that way. So if you want to be at LV, we can talk. Wait, what's LV? Besides, okay. besides Las Vegas. That would be cool. Oh, okay. that, that is not in your cool. neck of the woods. Okay. No, but I used but to be on the board. Yeah. 
Nice. And somebody's asking if you can get a nose piercing at the Mental Health Hackers Village. <laughs> Is that a thing? Is that? Does uh, that so oh. there's got to be an inside joke there somewhere. There's a, doll, there there's a dolphin piercing that can go right there, and it, it represents yes. a lot of. Things. It does. And then you're in a secret club. <laughs> Larry, Larry had a lot more of those piercings uh, back in back in the day. I, I think did. I think Larry could probably give a whole talk on like where and not where to get. Yep, piercings. I've yep. I've never had my nose pierced, and I just decided randomly like a couple days before Blue Team Con this last year that I wanted my nose pierced. And Ms. Bat used to be a professional piercer, mm -hmm. so I'm like, yep. just bring your stuff. And I almost passed out in the mental health hackers room. Almost passed what out from what? Role from model. like what a from great like, role from model. getting my nose pierced. But like from like pain or just like the whole thought of like something's going um, through my nose? No, I don't know what it what it was. Uh it wasn't it was painful, but like I've experienced worse pain. Um, but it got like stuck and she had to redo it again. Yeah. And just oh. all of a sudden I got really, really warm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh -huh. I had to lay down. Yep. And had people like rushing to get me alcohol, which was fine. <clears throat> but it looks all good now. I mean, it, it looks great. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's out. Get her high, high octane alcohol. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Larry, yes. Larry can tell some horror stories, though. I think someone brought me like warm tequila, and I'm like, no, Ugh. like I'd rather Ugh. be sober. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Warm tequila, gross. <laughs> yeah, Larry, you've, you've had some issues. You've, you've maintained some stuff, but yeah, you've had some. Yeah, some of it you know, took out because of you know, I, electively. I have to and, imagine yeah. that Miss Bat was simply mortified that you nearly passed out. I mean, she's such a sweetheart. She is so kind. She she did she did a fantastic job. So wait, is that is yeah, this, is this like a knows. regular? Is this like a regular thing at Mental Health Hackers? Like we can get piercings. <laughs> I, and stuff? We could make it one. We could make it one. Like mm -hmm. that's just a corner is piercings. Is this like a, an accessory? We were talking about this today, like your mental health and like how you dress and how that affects your mental Paul. health. Okay, right? Sure. So Where would I, you sure. get pierced, Paul? Do Where like would you yeah. get pierced, Paul? Uh, uh, you can pick, Josh. All right. <laughs> oh, no, oh, don't say that. I'll hold on, hold on. You, you and Larry can maybe <laughs> maybe discuss it, and maybe I get a vote as well. So we will. We'll, yeah. we'll how about just it. like all the all the listeners vote? Like, just like where <laughs> that would I be think bad. That's great. That would I be think bad. Paul's Everybody get... on Discord, tell us where you want Paul pierced yes. at the next mental this health. Is def hackers. Something's he going below my belt to, to get to get yeah. pierced. Yeah, yeah Josh, happens. I think he, Josh, I think he's going to get an yes. apodavra. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know just what that is. I don't want to know what that is. I don't think I want that. No, the apodavra. I don't know what that is, but I don't want it. Shannon will enjoy it. That's okay. Your wife will like it. It's like adding three inches. Perfect. Oh, wow. You know. It's like. Wow. It's like double. Wow. I know the piercing you should get, but it takes the one I, I didn't say it. You uh, were gonna. I know you were gonna. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. But the, I think that, you know. So the, the, there is definitely. There is a, a mental health. Uh, there is, bring it back to, you know, there is a mental. There is. It's similar to like. Like when I dress up in like a shirt and a suit jacket and stuff, like mm -hmm. can you feel good about yourself, right? Like that's it, any yeah. any kind of like that's just my case, there, right? There but is, however, you feel like you want to dress up, um, it, it can make you feel good about yep, yourself. There, there's an absolute tie to some some mental health 
things and disorders for piercing and some of the extreme modifications. Yeah. But uh, also and, like working yeah. from home too, like you're in your pajamas all day. Like I like coming into the studio. Well, it's not every day. Uh, sometimes I do work from home, but I come into the studio. I'm like, oh, this is my opportunity. I got to put like, on. I got to put on pants today. I got to put on pants. But sometimes, right. like, maybe I'll put a nice pair of pants on a nice shirt. Like that. That kind. Of, that feels good, right? Yep. Yeah. Same thing with like tattoos. Like, yeah. And uh, you know, I can't go too long without either a haircut, a piercing, or a tattoo. Mm, yeah, my tattoo appointment was yesterday. So I was going to say was, you've got a epic. you've got a thing. Yeah. Did you have Aww. some some fix up work or no, additions from the wrist down? It is all new as of. But finished at ten o'clock last night. So. Really? Yeah. Nice. Oh. Yeah. I know. I noticed the. Fresh. I noticed fresh. the saran wrap, but yep. I didn't notice that that was that ended at your wrist before, didn't it? Yeah. Now that you it, say that. Yeah. It, now it, you it, say move that. it to the camera side. Well, sort of. Yeah. It ended. It ended here, and all the the back of the hand stuff is is all new as of nice. there as of. Last and is that night. still Star Wars themed on your? Nope. Yeah, I can't see with the glare. Okay. No. Nope. Oh, no. It is uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Nice. Yep. So. Jack. No, so much for ending at the risk so you could cover it with a shirt. Yeah, that ended a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My Boy, retail sales career is effectively over. So. Aww. Well, oh. Oof. The picture in 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 uh, Discord of you with the thing in your nose, uh, Amanda, is something else. Thomas is done. Yep. There you go. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I think, uh, thankfully, folks are a lot more open-minded about stuff like oh that. Oh my gosh! <clears throat> yeah, I, I think if you, you've experienced that kind of kind of first uh, first, oh, first oh, yeah. hand, I mean, if you will, literally, 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 literally right? figuratively. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, and for a long time too, that I was even incredibly self-conscious of it, uh, in that you know when I got tattooed below something that was relatively difficult to mm. hide. Like I, I resorted myself to the fact that I was going to wear a long sleeve shirt to work for the rest of my life, and that doesn't matter anymore, right? Uh, and especially where you know we've been doing this for so long. I like much you without. More, I, I like you without a shirt on. Quite I frankly, mean, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it, it it certainly as my career has progressed and that I've made a name for myself for what I know and what I can do as opposed to what I look like. Yeah, people look past the appearance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they don't even recognize the appearance. And like, right early on in my career, I showed up to a job interview um, in a suit and tie. And the job interviewer was very much surprised because I was there for like a security engineering role. Mm. And she said, I expected you to show up in jeans and a t-shirt and have purple hair. Mm. And I'm like, well, I missed the mark on that one. Right. <laughs> but right. so, yeah. But yeah, definitely have experienced a, a lot of that about, you know, the, the change in appearance and how I looked and, you know, even how I've grown and, and even, changed even my Even training too. Uh, Amanda's doing some training as well and even training you're like as long as the instructor's qualified like people look past appearance and as well they should right like what is it what what does it matter yep Uh, in your training uh, today Amanda tell us tell us about that have you done in person and and virtual yeah so we had to switch that too Mm -hmm. Um, we had just start uh, so my business partner and like one of my best friends Jeremy him and I started a company. Uh, it's called Cybersecurity Conference Training. 
Uh, definitely what? not like a shell corp. You you went you went for oh, like okay. the direct approach, right? Like let's not be too cute about our we're name. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's yeah. seem like we're like uh, just cleaning dirty money or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 this is a front for the mob. Um, no, so yeah, we we only have uh, we have a couple different trainings, but. They're all loosely so far based around um, uh, creating tabletop programs and uh, uh, like IR playbooks and stuff. Nice. Uh, so it's not like a full blown like IR training, uh, but the first two days is instruction on how to perform tabletops and why and how mm -hmm. to create playbooks and why and all of that kind of stuff. And then the second two days we throw everybody in Discord and we have these Discord bots that like send people into different fake companies mm -hmm. and they get different uh titles in those companies so like you might get ceo but you might get like help desk and then there's like an intern and a sec ops person so there's uh all of these different roles that you can get and we play it like uh i can't for legal reasons say the name of the thing that well, we John, John Strand did backdoors like, and breaches, which was based like on a that. popular game. Okay. But you, yes, you're not so using popular table. Yeah. You're not using John Strand's backdoors and breaches, but mm -hmm. you have your own spin on that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. We take it further. Right. So we actually walk through kind of like backdoors and breaches does, but it's all interactive with game masters. Mm -hmm. So we do that. And then you actually have hit points for your company and your companies have to survive through the two days of training Ooh. and whatever you can create in the first two days in the uh, playbooks that you create in the scenarios that we walk through helps you in the last two days of training nice and this is so, all done on discord yeah oh that's innovative i like that that's cool yeah i mean in the beginning it was great because like you could actually roll the die and mm. like that that yeah. part was really cool um but now discord bots do it and yeah i was gonna say so did you, did you guys did yep. you guys code your own discord bots to do this uh do you know lintile aaron lint yep yes uh oh, he yeah. wrote it for me <laughs> Nice. So uh, we did. Uh, we did a uh, D &D so session. Those don't know, Aaron Lynn uh, took over the programming and gaming for Hacker Jeopardy at Defcon. Yes. Nice. Yes. Nice. From yeah, we did. Uh, we did a Def. Uh, we did a, a D and D session uh, at work uh, for our all hands meeting that was virtual. So we did virtual uh, D and D, and we had a great dungeon master, and that's how we did everything was through Discord. Mm. Uh, for dice yeah. rolls and so forth, so it was awesome. And so, did Aaron Aaron code it in Discord bots to be able? There are, to there are multiple. There are multiple. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and like it keeps track. So, like, if somebody you know, uh, you know, say they uh, go down. Uh, let me think of an example. It's not in a class, so I don't like ruin anything. Um, uh, like you but it kind of it reminds me Amanda of the text-based games where you answered questions. What were those called? M muds? Yeah. Muds? Yep. Was it muds? Yeah, muds. Kind a of. M U M U D muds, muds, right? Yeah, Multi-user multi dungeon. dungeons. Dungeons. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It wasn't that double seven which is, game which is different from multi-user BDSM houses. Just to be clear. <laughs> you sure? God. <laughs> <laughs> One could say instant response is kind of like BDSM. Yeah, multi-user BDSM house. Have to be, yeah, glutton for punishment. Right. 
that's really interesting how things that are old become new again, right? Yeah. So basically, it's a Discord bot that is a MUD focused on incident response. Yeah, and it tracks everybody's decisions. So, like, if you have business email compromise, you know, like, oh, I want to, I want to, like, kick this user. I want to reset his password. You have to roll for that decision. Mm-hmm. And if you fail, like, no, worse things can't. happen. No, you yeah. can't change my password. <laughs> Hacker uses attack yeah. yeah. Active Directory. Can't change password because I'm locked out of my account or whatever. Right? You can build those scenarios yeah. into the into the game sure. based on real scenarios they have. Yeah. Yep. No, there's, yeah, there's, and there's, every every scenario that we do is based off of something that either Jeremy or I have encountered. Right. Like mm. real scenarios. You can't change my password. There's a critical business function that depends on my user account and password being the way it is because yeah. it's hard-coded never, in a script. Yeah, that never happens. Hard-coded in the script. I was waiting for you to say uh. that I hate you so much. <laughs> uh. <sighs> Uh-huh. And and there's so many services that all, like all of our services that are running use that. Wait, yep. all our servers are running. Why are none of our batching functions happening in PCI world? Oh right. wait, the developer's workstation is off? No. Mm. No, it's not the developer's workstation. It's, so much fun. it's that dot that win uh, that uh 486DX266 running DOS with a Novell Network client connecting to a Novell Network 312 oh, system. It's with, built into the wall. Yeah. 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 Wait, 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 wait. What's going on here? We have a fully up-to-date network. Everything's patched and updated and everything. Yeah, except for the Windows 98 machine running your badging system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but wait, Josh, we have backups. Can't we just restore from backup? Oh, fuck you. I'm sure the, <laughs> I'm sure the roll. I don't know. You have, you have to roll. You have to roll you for have it. To roll. And, and yeah, roll, sure. roll for can. initiative. I tell you what, when you roll the dice that a backup is going to work, like your your odds are not, mm. and the odds and are like not in some, your favor. <laughs> some of our companies, like they get different skill sets. So like one of the skills that you can choose in the beginning is your backups never fail. Yeah. Ooh. So that's like a skill that you can do. You can also summon Dave Kennedy. Like that's one of the skills. No, nice. Oh. It's just a one-time use. Uh, you everything gets fixed. <laughs> I was going to say, but Magic. does everything? Uh, it should be a random. Like either everything gets fixed, or everyone gets a hug, or you all have to go to the gym Ooh, and lift weights. I like weights. that. Or you all gonna go oh, to the I gym like and that. lift weights. And if you go to the gym and lift yeah. weights, then everything gets fixed. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. We can add some more dimensions here. I mean, that is. <laughs> That is incident response. <laughs> a lot of dimensions to incident response, mm-hmm. for sure. That sounds like a lot of fun, though. I mean, I think oh, learning should be fun. It sounds like you're making learning fun, which is awesome. Yeah. And I, I like interactive trainings, right? Like, yeah. there's a lot of trainings out there that oh, I think and I think people will join our trainings sometimes and just think that they're going to sit and, like, work and, like, listen to it in the background. And then day two comes around. We're like, all right, class. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need yeah. you to do all of this in preparation for tomorrow. And then, you know, not having the interaction doesn't get you as much knowledge around the subject, I don't think. Yeah, it's I interesting. Mean, I mean, not that there's not value in those classes, right? But I think the traditional way to think about learning is that you can do a couple of different paths, right? You can listen to uh, the, what the instructor says, every word, and try and pay attention the whole time and do all the labs as they're coming at you or you can just work on all the labs until you get stuck and then pay attention to what the teacher says 
uh, unless you know they've said that and you missed it, which which happened. I mean, those of us that have taught like know all of the different student personas, oh, right? Yeah. That work that way. Oh yeah. But I think a great way, Amanda, to do the class the way you're describing is like you you have to basically play the game, right, and be engaged mm-hmm. with the content, which is awesome. Yep. So yep. when you when you move this to a a, a live in-person training will you still leverage discord to do a lot of that stuff yes awesome <laughs> yes awesome. oh yeah yeah like it's so much easier before we were running around with notebooks and like scratching notes so we could keep track of where every company was with their decisions and like the actual ir process and it was it was horrifying <laughs> yeah but i mean there's also there's also something to be said for physical infrastructure as well because larry and i with ccdc is what i'm thinking of like when there yeah. was physical it was nice to have that physical infrastructure and then day one ends then you could make changes to the physical infrastructure like go in and just yeah. unplug a couple of ethernet cables right like yeah. mm-hmm. simulating that yes. virtually is certainly on the table as well but it was it was neat yeah. to have the the physical aspect to that right yeah. Our first, our first time we ever gave this training, we also, um, after every like actual tabletop exercise, we also did hands-on learning. So like I would teach somebody how to do a password spray, how to detect it, how to prevent against it, that kind of stuff. Awesome. And, uh, never having built a lab for training before, uh, never thought how it would bring the lab to its knees when you have 15, 20 people performing uh-huh. password spraying. Uh-huh. It's a thing. Oh, <laughs> Against uh, like we've one DC. Yes, we've been all there, been that. there. Yes. Yep. We had, like, oh, gosh. We just oh, no. we just had this with uh, uh, the IoT course that uh, we uh, deployed for SANS. Uh, and that uh, we de- one of the devices that we were doing some attacks against was... Um, uh, router OS from Microtik, and we stood it up on uh, bare metal arm uh, at a mm-hmm. provider somewhere on the internet. And uh, after the second class, uh, we go to run it again, and we can't contact the damn host. Uh, turns out the provider took it down and suspended the VM because it kept getting hacked. Like that was <laughs> the point. <Yes. laughs> we're doing it for your. We're from the government. Uh, we're here to help. Yeah. For, fortunately, it also the same exploit works on uh, RedRS for uh, Intel. So we just provide a local VM for that now. Those those are all good lessons, though, right? Like this yes. is one of the we've been providing as a a strategy roadmap for CISOs as like you have to do these tabletop exercises because otherwise you don't get engaged people like legal, like your media, your PR. Think of a ransomware engagement. Like unless you've exercised any of these and unless you have a written down procedure, if you've not tabletopped it, you really are at a pretty vulnerable state. And that from a corporate standpoint, especially bigger corporations is something that they have to do in order to be prepared. It's a disaster recovery and strategic cyber mitigation that if they're not doing these tabletops, I don't I don't think they're they're actually pre- any more prepared than someone that doesn't have EDR or good visibility in a sim. Yeah, not sure. all of us worked at a university in the early 2000s and experienced that firsthand. <laughs> 
That's where tabletops come in handy. We didn't need tabletops. Yeah. The problem Every is week more, it was a new incident. The problem is in the university, oh, it wasn't no. a tabletop. It was an actual It was event. an actual incident. Yes. Yeah, more, more than one a year, too, is also helpful. Like, uh, people forget. Oh, dude, it was yeah. one of my, I mean, in oh, early 2000s, we went from rate to code red to blaster to what S, M, and D. Like, it was, it was nonstop. I guess we still it wasn't have that tabletops. Today. It was real life, and it was real life. Yeah, tabletops is a nice way to to simulate that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yes. So basically, tabletops are for when you're in the early '90s or when Tyler is around. Yes, or that. <laughs> or that. Now you don't want you don't want Tyler to do a tabletop. You want to do Tyler to do a live fire exercise. Uh, Amanda, yes. uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Blue Mira. We were talking about that a a, a, oh, a little sure. bit, right? Like you're a yes. I would say like early mid-stage funded sub 100 person uh company which i think is so much fun uh it is a blast i love working here um and so if nobody's heard of blumera or if any of you haven't um we are uh, based out of ann arbor and we are bringing a software as a service sim uh which we have like kind of four major selling points right uh Coming from like, I used to like help install and configure Splunk, which took six months to like sure. three years to actually configure and and make usable. Wait, wait, it takes time um, to configure Splunk and get it working yeah, properly? Right. No. And, and, and Josh, and a lot of money. Mm. No. <laughs> and a lot of money. Yeah. No. So when I started, they told me they wanted to get the SIM rollout and like tuning configuration process down to less than a week. I'm like, you're insane. Like, that's never going to happen. You need months. Like, you have to do this and this and this and this and tuning and blah, 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 blah. And there's no way it's ever going to happen. And they proved me wrong. <laughs> uh, nice. A couple of years later, right, which I'm super glad to say. So we can roll out a sim uh, as long as, like, you can automate, like, the PowerShell script to your Windows boxes um, if you have on-prem in, like, less than a day. So we've had some customers roll it out in hours or now, like, what month's it? I don't even know what today is. The 13th, Wednesday is uh, Wednesday. April, yeah, April 6th. 13th. 13th. Last, last week. I know. 13th. I know. Like, last week, though, we had um, uh, our first big reveal of we are the first company to offer a free version of a SIM for Microsoft 365 uh where you don't have to talk sure. to a salesperson you can just sign up with sso um put in like your api credentials to your tenant and like within an hour you have a functioning sim for 365. nice like with all of right. our detections so i think we have like 30 or free? 40 or something for 365. Mm -hmm. free yeah for how long currently forever <laughs> I mean, your data isn't there forever. Uh, I think for free version, it's there for like three months or something like that. So it, roll, it, roll, it rolls every three months. But you're also helping I automate so. automate the deployment out to the rest of the mm -hmm. AD environment, right? Yeah. So like for the for the other versions, right? There's uh, we have four versions. We have the free one that's just 365. Yeah. We have a cloud one that's like 365, Okta, Sentinel one, other stuff. I don't know. Um, I know that there's another one in there somewhere, but then we have like the full version. Like if you have 
uh, Fortinet and, uh, you know, like a WAF and Linux boxes and on-prem AD, like that's like the full version. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, the, the quick rollout is like one of our main selling points. Um, yeah. Cause that's, a, you know, we, I, I was telling you before too, like working with security onion, like you gotta be really hands-on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hands on setting it up. I mean, Doug and Burks and team has created a great, you know, uh, open oh, source project wonderful. and awesome stuff, right? But you got to be hands on mm-hmm. with it. And we've Doug's yes. done some training for our, our audience. We've and know your stuff. Got to know your stuff, and you got to be able to deploy yeah. it on your own. So, like when mm-hmm. it comes to Linux, I'm like, oh, I can get this agent out there like no problem. When it comes to Windows, right. like, oh, I gotta make sure I get it out to all my workstations with PowerShell or however you're getting it out there. But like, you got to know that stuff. I think for mm-hmm. you in in Blue Mira, Amanda, it's it's making that easy for the the folks to adopt that targeting some of the smaller enterprises and SMBs yes. that maybe don't have a large staff with sure. that breadth and body of knowledge to go. Oh, I can just whip up a quick quick script and get that out there. Yeah, yeah, because there. I mean, most of our customers uh, don't have security staff. I yeah. don't have a yeah. full security staff, right? Right. They may have a security engineer, one person or, or like less, one or two people. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But they, you know, they have IT people, whatever. Sure. But they don't have. I mean, to to roll out and run your own sim and configure it and keep it up to date and actually working and useful, you need at least one person dedicated right. to it to do it right. Um, so we wanted to get like past that um, and just make it easier for people to roll out without even needing to know security. So like it's my team and my 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 team's job to write the actual detections so they're not like killing people with alerts. Yes. And then we also build in <clears throat> IR workflows to all of them. So you get like, hey, this bad thing has happened. Okay, we'll go to this host. Did you see this? No. Okay, we'll look here, run this command. And did you see this? No? Okay, well then run this tool and blah, blah, blah. So we have like all of the workflows built in to every every detection. And, that, and that's, hard, that's hard too because I like when I did that kind of stuff, right? Tenable was kind of similar when you write a vulnerability. You get like really excited about the new vulnerability and you spend time detecting it accurately, making the recommendations, creating the playbooks and all that stuff. And then you, you end and you're yeah. like, I got to do that all over again for something else, right? And you're like, ah, yep. rinse, lather, repeat, right? Yes. yes. I was curious. So that's what does me and the, my help team does. Does the paid version uh, do some of the automation through some of those playbooks and runbooks and uh, integrate into other tools for EDR and quarantine and those kind of things? Like what, it, what does the paid version give you? Sure. Uh, so... All of our integrations, first off, we have like 30 or 40 different integrations. You can send us logs without limit, right? We don't, we don't uh, charge based on how much, how many like gigs you send us or whatever. Um, we do have automation currently and it's, uh, there's a couple things in process uh, and all that's like connecting to the EDR vendors and doing quarantining and, and that kind of stuff. Right now it's just dynamic block listing so like if you're getting scanned or if you get a um, uh, like a we have some threat list built in right so it's like oh this IP address has been shown for to to be known with this ransomware straight um, 
variant and it's contacting this IP address in that workflow, you could be like, yes, block this, and it'll add it to the dynamic block list. Um, right now, that's the only automation that we have, but I just had a meeting earlier today talking about all of the other things that we now have on our list for this year. Um, and that's one of them is like the quarantining and doing like deleting application passwords in 365 or um, resetting passwords or disabling accounts and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, we're, we're building all of that into. That's awesome. Good stuff. That's really kind of bloody covered, impressive, man. Yeah, we covered a lot of a lot of ground in the the one thing we haven't talked about is your podcast. Breaking, breaking down security. Yes. Also do that. <laughs> and you record on Sunday. Do you uh, live stream or uh record and, and then release? Both currently. Okay. So we've been yeah, we just switched over to doing live streaming on Twitch. Mm -hmm. Um and we used to just record and we release every week. Um, a lot of times they're two parters because uh, a lot of people like 30 minute podcasts. So we were like recording for like an hour and a half, two hours, and then just breaking them up. Um, and then, yeah, Brian uh, has been doing a lot of Twitch streaming himself. Uh, so I need to, I need to get into that. I have not yet. Yeah. No, Twitch streaming is great. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and uh, version two of my book is coming out uh, and later this year too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh. you write. Yeah, in, in your spare time, you write books. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing after this. I have chapters due on Friday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and what what is what is your book for our audience, uh, Amanda? Uh, it is the Defense of Security Handbook. I don't know if you can you can kind of see it back there up top. Up top there. there. Oh, gotcha. O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Yep. With O'Reilly. the little porcupine. Porcupine. Yeah, Defense yep. of Security yeah. Handbook. Yeah, yeah, we're hey. adding two two full chapters. Nice, uh, Amanda. After we uh, we end, remind uh, me to talk to you about that real quick. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Sweet. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for appearing on Paul Security Weekly. It was wonderful having you back yeah. on the show. Yeah. Thank really you for was. having me on anytime. And best I need luck to make it out to uh, out to you again. Yes, we'd love to have you here uh, out here in Rhode Island in. Good luck at RSA. We hope to see you soon at a security event coming up soon. Definitely. Thank you. With that, we'll take a short break. Come back with the security news. Stay tuned. The need to communicate and collaborate on a global level has created a proliferation of cloud-based tools for businesses. But with new channels come new gaps for hackers and many new security blind spots. You need full threat visibility across channels with a solution that works at the speed your company does. Perception Point's multi-layered platform provides the most robust threat prevention on the market. Perception Point advanced collaboration security designs for the modern enterprise. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash perception point. Welcome back everyone to Paul's Security Weekly. Don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. You can visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe. Subscribe to all of our podcast feeds, all of the shows across our network, including a soon-to-be-released new show called Hacker Heroes. All those episodes are downloaded right to your device each and every week on your favorite podcast platform. If uh, if if you like the shows and it helps us out tremendously, uh, give us a review, whether on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure you go in there, review the podcast. Uh, that would be awesome. Also, you can join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms, all at securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe. 
We also have a free webcast series that we're doing this year. All we ask is that you give us your name and email address so that we can email you content relevant to the webcast that you attend. We don't share your name or email address with anyone. Um, April 14th, learn how to monitor your Wi-Fi. That's tomorrow with Enzyme. Uh, Larry, myself, and Leonard Koopman uh, will be hosting that uh, wireless IDS with Enzyme, free and open source wireless yeah. IDS. Alan Stakalakis and Tyler Robinson and myself will also learn how to gain visibility into your enterprise with Sysmon. Also, myself and our good friend, Rich Mogul, uh, on May the 4th. Oh, Jesus. Just, you got you him can, on that date? You can imagine Rich's slides. This is all Rich's content. I'm he's he's going to be dressed as a stormtrooper. I'm storm just there for the discussion. Uh, we're going to talk about how to choose the right architecture for your application in the cloud um, it, with a splash of security as well. Uh, so all live attendees of these webcasts will have a chance to win a $100 Hacker Warehouse gift card. Register for all of the webcasts at securityweekly.com forward slash webcast. We're going to get the archive out there. Uh, in the meantime, you can visit securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. Alrighty. On to the news for this week. A lot of interesting news this week, I thought. Lots of weird, yeah. lots of weird sort of. I guess we got we got to start with like Sandworm 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and, and apologies for having some stories that you, in there that you covered last week. I, no, yeah, no, no, no worries. Dude. So we can skip those and just move right you along. You picked like the good ones we covered last week too. So we <laughs> of can, course, yeah, cover like, them again. Like, dude, great minds think like for how many years now? Like the porn on the charging stations. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Like, yeah, like how many years yeah. have we had that type of synergy for? How many years have we covered porn on like electronic billboards? Like, it seems like if you put up an electronic billboard. It's, it's going to be hacked. To someone's going to put porn on it, and now your charging stations that have an LCD screen, someone's going to put porn on it, right? Like I, I guess there's worse things people could do, uh, you know, with that. I, I suppose it also depends on the kind of porn, um, and, and hopefully people keep it light, light-hearted porn. Like you know, like there's there's different levels, okay? Uh, and if you don't secure that stuff, it's going to have porn on it. Um, yep. On a more serious because the internet's reformed. As we know, the initial attacks that Russia launched against Ukraine was that 2017 was the initial wave of attacks. So I think it was 2017, right? Um, yeah. Were somewhat successful. I, I mean, it obviously, it kind of spawned a lot of attention and fear with cyber attacks that can turn off the power, which is bad. And we've talked about that quite a bit, yeah. you know, uh, over the years, even before 2017. So now what I thought was interesting is this new wave. <coughs> um, and there's lots of different names uh, that they're calling it um, in, in the article. <coughs> and we like, you had to see this coming. So in destroyer malware, right? So this is what they're calling in destroyer two, um, also dubbed sandworm. Um, the original attacks, we can certainly, I mean, they call it out right here in the, in the article in Ars Technica by Andy Greenberg, right? Who's been very following these stories very closely for many years. Um, unit 74455 of Russia's GRU military intelligence called out specifically yep. as in destroyer or crash override, uh, in disrupting the power grid in Ukraine. And now we get a new wave. What I thought was interesting is that. Ukraine's expecting, like we all expected, especially folks in Ukraine are expecting like Russia's going to try this again. And 
like they why why wouldn't they right like this is like you know the punch is coming um so you're going to get ready for it and you're going to try and duck um it it seems like and again i'm just reading what's in the you know popular press as it were um uh, uh, my comment was you know turn the power off once shame on you let it happen again shame on me um so this was a a what it was quoted in the article as relatively limited damage from Russia's cyber operations. They say represents not merely Russia's lack of focus on cyber war as it carries out a full-blown physical war, but also Ukraine's growing ability to defend itself in the digital domain. Hmm. I think that's really yeah. interesting that they're kind of calling out like Russia probably could have done a better job with this attack, but also coupled with that is Ukraine's increased cyber defenses as also I think is in the mix that folks like the u.s and others are helping ukraine with their cyber cyber defenses because we're on the side of the good the good guys uh and the good guys we help each other tyler's gonna come in here tyler i know you're you're chomping at the bit weighing on this i said the stage turn over to you now appreciate that no I, i i think there's a lot of things at play i mean one yeah we've seen the 2017 we're gonna call that a test 16 yeah, we've sure. seen, you know, we've got multiple variations of this and we can attribute a good portion of the code between, you know, Isaac Wiper, Caddy Wiper, Whispergate, uh, a couple of the deployment mechanisms for uh, some of the other wipers we're seeing. Uh, all of these really, they tie in and correlate, but are we seeing things from a lens of this is a, a quick one and done? Like they've already got physical access. They've already owned good portions of the country, why would they launch these particular attacks? My theory is, and again, this is 100% me, no corroborating evidence that, that can be publicly shared, is this may be another test where they were checking out their capabilities, they're looking at very specific functions that are highly probable to the power with inside of Ukraine. Uh, one, to test those functions, test the rewrite of this, because this was highly rewritten. The Industrial mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. 2 is an entirely new update of modules. But the very specific tasks that they were looking at using and the way that they've modulated some of this makes it, again, like, yeah, they're unfocused, but was this to <clears> test out the new capability that they've not had a chance since 2017 to re- retest some of the tools, and they're looking for the next bigger hit? So I think there's quite a bit in play with all the different toolkits that we're seeing from a wiper standpoint. Like sure, we're seeing I, you so know, many I, I do agree. To, I think there's some. Uh, there could be a lot of deception here and a lot of testing and feeling out the waters. I also feel like it could be as simple as, you know, if you follow MMA fighting, right? And you look at the you 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 throw certain punches and kicks to see how they see how your opponent is going to defend those right and you're kind of the really the best and the smartest fighters are adding it into their database of like okay like i tried that and here's how they here's how they responded so when i craft the next attack it's going to look different based on that in this case the person's Mm -hmm. response in this case based on the nation state's response to that i tested some stuff here's how they responded let me go back and tune and tweak and then and then maybe launch launch the next one that this isn't guess what you're saying tyler right this isn't like a a one and done kind of thing it's not like oh i tried attacks against the power grid didn't work i'm moving on this is constant iterative testing uh and until you get something that works 
And it's a good it's a good snap in time testing for what visibility they have, what responses, who is implementing and helping them, where did the modules and stop gaps the way they were intended. I don't think anything was not done that was, you know, supposed to be done. Mm. But also the you, you look at the satellite hacking and acid rain mm-hmm. uh, and the firmware brick there. Again, why hit all the consumer ones when those could have been leveraged for much bigger targets that could have been in-memory things that could have been done for relaying, uh, you know, potential botnet activity and implantation. Like, again, it doesn't add up to unless they're literally just grasping at straws and they're not that organized and different groups are not communicating as well, which is entirely possible. We see that in our own military. But I I think in the satellite case, that could be that could be the case because firmware is near and dear to my heart, right? I would, if I was in charge of the offensive cyber operations, I would not have squandered that opportunity, mm-hmm. right? I would so, not. I would not have gone to, let's brick everything. I would have gone low and slow. Yep. And in, so in that I've got I've got a theory and untested, and I'd love to float it by you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, we're seeing uh, from what I'm hearing, we're seeing sort of a subpar cyber response from Russia, and like the satellite thing, like they yeah. did it and they squandered that opportunity. And from my understanding that Russia has always claimed that, no, it's not us. Mm-hmm. Like we're, none of this stuff is, none of this stuff is our cyber whatever. But how much of the actual stuff that Russia, and I'm using Russia, is mm-hmm. doing is mercenary based? Pay for hire. Like they've contracted some hacking group to go do x y and z so that russia can the government can really say well we didn't do it but they paid somebody to do it so they're being honest as it were and i'm wondering because these groups have more ready i would argue have more ready access to internet data that they can make decisions about what they see in other forms of media because they've probably been granted more access to be able to deliver Mm -hmm. these attacks that they can maybe make some decisions about, hey, maybe Russia's not doing the right thing and we see all this non-state sponsored media. So while they're getting paid by the Russian government to do all these hacks, it's kind of like, well, we'll 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 try. We'll try. We'll still get paid from we'll, Russia. I see what you're going, we'll, man. Like, we'll, still we'll, still get, paid, we'll still get from paid from Russia and, and we'll try. And we'll be like, hey, Russia, like oops, that's the best we could do. Yeah, it didn't it didn't work this it time. Didn't but work but this we can time. try again with something a little bit more. It's an interesting theory, Larry. I like and, it a lot. Yeah, yeah. We did this sat thing and like, oh yeah, maybe we made a mistake. We didn't we didn't leverage that for all there could, but they're offline now. And now yep. they can't be used. So Yeah, I think I think there I mean there is a lot of that happening and from a denial of service standpoint, uh breach standpoint, like you're seeing a lot of the pro Russian uh, criminal active activist groups getting involved. I mean you got Loric fifty three, you've got a bunch of the free civilians, you've got, you know, you've got even Conti and some of the ransomware that are bought into and paid off or have a mutual understanding with government entities. So you have a lot of that interaction. I think some of the code for some of the more advanced uh, implant and wipers, like not all of them, like you're 100%, Larry, I think there's a lot there that is not public, but the the wipers and the code sharing between some of them, like the hermetic uh, wipers and the implant systems used for those, are pretty specific. So unless we had some misattribution early on, which is entirely possible, I think we're starting to kind of see some overlap. And we're starting to see 
the sophistications between the different groups. Like there's a big difference between some of the FSB groups and some of the GRU groups. And there's a definite difference between some of the handlers and managers of those different groups and, and what their targets are and their sophistication level. So we're 100% going to see that. And I think we're going to continue to see that as we move forward. <clears throat> Again, this is me just playing armchair cyber political. I think the the lull and <laughs> silence is all of us running that through our brains. Yeah. Right? So I think it was very yeah, I mean, thought, yeah, yeah. thought provoking for sure. If anybody wants to get a good handle on kind of what some of the players are from like a very quick and dirty, like all of the different things we've seen over the month, it's been a busy month from <laughs> no leaks shit. to breaches to understandings of, you know, malware and ransomware and, and all the things that are happening. Like check out Eclipsium's report uh, for March, their, their threat report, which is free to everybody. They cover all of the things with inside of one month very, very well and very accurately. So, um, if you're looking for something, that's that's a good place to start. Also, uh, they made available their free firmware checking tool. Yes. A version of that. And I ran that and I was really impressed. I was like, oh, it is crap. I didn't nice. update my BIOS. And like the way they construct that report, I was like, oh, that is really interesting. The way that they did their, that. Their founders are very, very pro-Ukrainian. Like he's, he's from yeah. Ukraine. Yep. Alex. Alex, one of the founders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're doing amazing work over there, like in the shadows at night, all of the things and extra effort they're putting forward. Like Eclipsium is the forefront of a lot of help that's going on at the at the firmware and low-level Intel-based uh, level. So, yeah, definitely give them some support. They're offering help inside just with their free tool. But as, if you've got other stuff that's critical with inside Ukraine, like reach out. They're mm -hmm. working tirelessly to help uh, anybody that's working on Ukraine stuff. So. Uh, I, the, the, the written piece this week that quite frankly could win an award, uh, for journalism, uh, from Andy oh, Greenberg, you're talking about and, the wired one. Yeah. dude, Andy Greenberg is like legit, He's on fire. dude, amazing journalist and amazing writer like that dude get, I mean, let's put cybersecurity aside for a moment, right? And kind of nerd out on the way you construct a story, on the way you do copywriting, on the way you like hook a reader and get them interest, interested in a story. Like, dude, you're fire. He is firing on all cylinders. Uh, he's got a couple of articles that we got. I think the, the Ars Technica article on Russia Sandworm, dude, that, that's Andy Greenberg. Yeah. Right? Mm, the article yeah. we just covered was, was Andy. Um, and right. then. You can read. I mean, it it reads like a book. Um, and Dude, I, I had a lot of stuff I should have been doing in that half hour that I read that. It's I not a short read at all, but it's totally worth it. Where is that story? Am I? It is uh, your story number, number fourteen. How Bitcoin tracers took down the web's oh. biggest child abuse site. Oh, different Andy Greenberg. Uh, other article. Yeah, fourteen yeah. is his article. Yep, fourteen on, is his article. On Russia's Sandworm version two point Yep. Um, and number eight is inside the Bitcoin bus that took down the web's biggest child abuse site. Like the emotional roller coaster he takes you through, the technical aspects of how blockchain and cryptocurrency work. Tyler, I mean, I thought it was spot on, but you were my go-to resource on that. I, you're not in your head like it was spot on. No, no, it it was a hundred percent spot on, and it was. Unfortunately, it was kind of one of the dirty secrets of blockchain that yep. 
many of us hope didn't get out quite as much because of stories like this. There was a lot of stuff chain analysis was doing early on to really get a hold of some really nasty people. And this is this is the stories that, you know, many people can mention over beers, but they don't actually get the full picture. This is the stories that we wanted to talk about at beers. Like these guys oh, were doing shit, that dude, stuff. Like the law enforcement criminal scumbags basically child pornography trafficking scumbags mm-hmm. um across multiple countries um multiple different cryptocurrency exchanges um darknet uh dark websites what was the dark website that they dubbed it it was something video market something like that what was it called oh, welcome to video welcome to video uh was the the scumbag site where they're basically i mean they basically took down the largest collection of child pornography ever to be taken down in one shot. And But like the whole article chronicles the persistence from, they talk about IRS agents, which kind of get downplayed, Dude, IRS right? Like kind of get downplayed like, in law enforcement, but the article definitely calls it out. Cause like I've met IRS agents. I'm like, wait, you guys carry guns and like do investigations? And they're like, yeah. Yep. And like, you lose sight of that, but like following the money and the taxes is an investigation. And I mean, they deserve like total props in this investigation, but it's FBI, it's international um, organizations, folks in the UK being supported by chain analysis and other blockchain uh, it, it analysis and kind of tracking groups. And they were, but they, I mean, they busted servers in Seoul, Korea, all the way to raiding someone's house in Atlanta, Georgia, into Texas. Like the, I, I, when I read this article, I was like, I am so like thankful that there are law enforcement agents that have, that have like learned this technology as we've learned in the past 30 plus years, law enforcement wasn't always the best like technical chops. I read this mm-hmm. article. I'm like, I am so glad like they have picked up these technical chops and then applied that to being able to conduct these investigations, doing the collaboration between law enforcement, targeting it to these groups that are breaking, I mean, all kinds of laws, not just like IRS tax laws, not just child pornography laws, but hacking laws, but the whole, you know, laundering, money laundering, the fraud, the whole thing. Um, and I mean, they took down like a huge swath of, like what turned out to be horrible people, like holding people hostage that were committing sex crimes against minors. Like the, I'm just like, I'm so glad there's people that are working for law enforcement in multiple countries that are working on this and, and having success in the age where, as we all know, most of us know on the show, listening to the show, you know, hiding in today's internet can be a lot easier than it was before. Um, Thankfully, in this uh, welcome to video, they kind of, I think the mistake they made, thankfully, the mistake they made was just thinking that cryptocurrency provided them the anonymity that they thought they wouldn't get caught. And they're like, chain analysis was like, they were like, no, dude, that's totally not true. And so glad they make that available to law enforcement Mm -hmm. to be able to conduct these investigations. Like, ah, a huge win that this was shut down. I think there was three main main points in that story. Like from a technical standpoint, 
Like one, yeah, bad guys are going to make mistakes. We'll, we'll call that like we know that. We know that. But We've the, seen that a million times, yeah, right? Those Tyler? mistakes yeah. are there. Yeah. The, the pieces that, that you don't expect is the importance of relationships across multiple verticals, industries, and boundaries. Like a lot of that couldn't have happened without some of those early established uh, infosec or call it, you know, uh, interdepartmental uh, or cross-departmental uh, relationships like the the relationship in Seoul, uh, some of the stuff with uh, HSI, those things. If people hadn't made those relationships and kept good connections and done good work between each other, like some of this wouldn't have happened. The second piece to that was like some of the novelty and and ways in which chain analysis and others are doing the. Uh, collaboration and then the tedious work of tying those back to individuals. I mean, that's real investigative work, but yes. they've got some very creative ways to do that. And realizing how early on they were doing that really shed some light on how far ahead like IRS and some of the other departments are sure. that are using it. There's not everybody that's there. So we have to be able to do that. And the third right. piece that I've really seen was the hardship they had in educating and having to brief and and continue to fill in local law enforcement, state law enforcement, and the people that have to take down the people. Like not everybody knows, you know, all the evidence you're providing them in a nice package. They still right. don't get get it. So you have a yeah. lot of. But I, I also think Tyler, along those lines, like like three A is the forensics that have to take place, right? Like they seem to be able reading this article, they seem to be able to do that pretty cleanly. Like they don't go into detail in the article. But I read between the lines, and it seemed like they nailed that forensic, like capturing the forensics evidence, analyzing the forensics evidence, feeding that back to the investigators seemed like a really well-practiced loop that they've learned over the past 20, 30 years as computers, like 30, 40 years ago, right, is when mm. we first started seeing computers using crimes. Like now we fast forward to today, like 3A in your list, Tyler, is nailing that forensics and getting the right information to the right people to be able to go make those arrests and bust down doors and get the people who were uh, committing those crimes in uh, being confident in doing that. And like, it didn't seem like there were a lot of mistakes. Like they didn't bust down the wrong doors. They didn't like make mistakes where it wasn't admissible in court and all that stuff. And that shit you can, it, you can get wrong pretty easy. easily, right? Really yeah, easy. it's easy to get that shit yeah. wrong. And they nailed they it. And they nailed it. And you have important. to nail it with these people. You have to nail it. You have to. Yeah, they realized it could ruin someone's life and, and even a misattribution Correct. would still ruin their life. So Correct. they were very cognizant of how right they had to be. And that was, you know, also you got to feel some of that weight of, of what they were doing. Right. I mean, and there were some like, true scumbags in here but there was also people who were like you know phd accomplished academics one person the the way he leads in with the article is like a vice principal of a school and then he got implicated in other in other crimes where he was assaulting kids at the school i don't know if those charges were dismissed or or what but there was that was kind of brought to light i mean you know some of that stuff gets battled out in court and in Hopefully they go to prison for a really long time, regardless. But mm -hmm. still, like I was impressed with law enforcement wholeheartedly in this yeah. in this article, and like really encouraged that the people fighting the good fight. Absolutely. Also, Andy did an amazing job writing this up. Like you should, as a listener, make sure you go read this article because like that, it's, it's and that was your story number story eight number eight. Yes, in posted today's. and wired inside Bitcoin bus that took down the yeah. web's biggest child abuse site. Yeah. 
awesome. Just want to make sure we're telling our telling our listeners, listeners yeah, to go read this. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna have yeah, to you read don't this go later. To the show notes, right? You should be able to find it on Wired. Like it's pretty. Yep. I'm uh, gonna have to read this later too because I didn't. I missed this. I was. Uh, it's a long read, dude. Like you're in for a journey. Like it's yeah. It's basically like a. A, a chapter or two of a book there, uh, but it's like, worth it it's not a lot of articles where like it's worth the, like most articles would give you like the this is a three minute read this is yep. an eight minute read like tyler said this, this is, is like a 30, a 30 minute, minute read yeah. like those are totally those are the worth good those are the yeah. re- like for the ones yeah. that like commodities these were the good ones like uh they, i think there was a wired article that we discussed a while back about uh some of the crypto stuff that uh the russians were doing yep. during world war ii and like these are some, some stuff yeah, some that gems, are crazy. Man. We read a lot. I mean, you listeners see it. Like we, you see the articles we cover. You hear us talking about them. Yep. Some are <clears> a quick <throat> read. Some are a very technical read. You got to go back and do some research. Some are yep. just like you just got to go read it and not yeah. a whole lot of technical stuff in here. But and it's explained very well, which is rare. Um, yep. Not everyone has, nails the, the has, articles. Uh, Andy Greenberg. Grant has Andy Greenberg been on the show? We want to bring him on the show. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely Andy. on the on the short list of bringing him on the show. Andy, if you're listening, yes, <laughs> definitely need to have Andy on the show. If nothing else, to say thank you to a bunch of things that he's written. Right. And, yeah. And bringing this stuff to light. Um, my story number seven. The article right before. I was that, just gonna say. Speaking of uh, Andy, uh, kind of bearded Barbie. Oh, kind of weird. Like. I read the title and it said bearded Barbie hackers catfish high ranking is Israeli officials. Uh-huh. That's very catchy. Like as you're thinking Barbie mm-hmm. with a beard <sighs> which conjures up images which are like that's uh, kind of yep. that's kind of weird. And then that they got catfished and catfish like I'm I'm like that's kind of weird. Like I don't understand how a Barbie, like you think of the image, like if I say Barbie, like in a psychological test, you say Barbie and you say, describe the first image that comes to mind. Like you're going to describe the Barbie doll. Yeah. Okay. Bearded Barbie. I'm like, how are you using that to catfish yep. Israeli officials? Because Israeli people are just some of the most amazing people on the planet that I've ever met, mm-hmm. right? In in so many different aspects. Like how how are you like how does this all tie together mm-hmm. but it turns there's out a, there's a neck beard behind the barbie is that is that the it's got to be like, so do, but i i call that's this a great one tyler i dubbed this catfished with a ph cuz that's essentially mm-hmm. what i think is is happen yep. it, it happened here right so basically Gain, um, they gained trust of a target they Hama- it, i believe yep. it was hamas created these fake social media accounts Gain the trust of their target mm-hmm. by interacting with them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, adversaries suggest migrating the conversation to WhatsApp for better privacy. So, like, this is a whole social engineering campaign where I hook them in on Facebook as a major social media platform. Yep. I then get my target to transition to WhatsApp for better privacy because yep. I'm social engineering, creating a persona. Yep. Uh, then sexy time happens. Sexy time happens. The, the article mm-hmm. says. The conversation takes an erotic turn and the threat actor suggests another pivot to a supposedly more discreet Android IM app, which is actually volatile venom malware. Simultaneously, the operative sends a link to a raw file that purportedly contains a sexual video, but is really a downloader for barbed wire backdoor. So this is where the the bearded Barbie kind of yep. like story. So the title doesn't really do it justice. It's exactly what's happening. 
Um, I think I linked to another article that breaks it down, you know, differently in, in, in a slightly more technical way. But like basically you're taking a target from a social media platform to WhatsApp to a, a specialized app that maybe is the first stage loader that then is delivering a second stage loader that's compromising an Israeli official. I can't imagine... Right. Knowing as the many Israeli people as I know, and as awesome mm -hmm. as they are, and as like awesome as they are at opsec, cybersecurity, hacking, and in all that stuff, like that they would actually fall for this. Like I can't imagine their success rate was very high in this case. Yeah, I, 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 I just I I can't. Not I, people that matter, right? Exact exactly. Time, and, right? and arguably for I haven't read the article, but how long did this activity take? Where, it's a good question. They don't provide a timeline, Larry. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd venture to guess that it was really in for the long haul. Mm. Like this was not a, you gain trust in a couple of days, we move to WhatsApp. It was probably multiple years. It, it, it could be that. It could be a lot. Lo this is a long game, which, I mean, still their success rate, I think, is going to be kind of low. Mm -hmm. But maybe, maybe they know that. I mean, they, they probably know that. Mm -hmm. That, you know, we, oh. 1%, 2%. Is going to be successful. It's like it's like and that's the, what they're after. It's like the same reason why spam emails work. Yes, because it one only, two percent. You send millions of emails. You send multiple conversations. It's cheap, and one to two percent works, and it pays so, for everything. Godly. I mean, if, if if you read the article, you'll notice <clears throat> that they they did they did create some Facebook fake Facebook profiles, but they curated them for months to make them look legitimate right. so that yeah. yep. history. You knew it wasn't created yesterday. It wasn't like the Russians that don't put a whole lot of effort into <laughs> no. many of their fake... Some. I mean, some. some. Like, Russians. We all see that. And we're like, that's clearly a Russian fake account, Lee, right? Like, that's... But right. sometimes attackers will put that, that effort into that persona. Like, they were making posts in Hebrew and, like, really, re really selling it, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. this, this one doesn't look any better than the last 20 I've gotten that are has two pictures, the created date, when they were born, which is all valid information stolen from another account, and no other information. Like, this looks pretty straightforward. Yeah, I think one of the, it did kind of hint towards the AI. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, the AI that, like, creating the <clears throat> images. Like yeah, this person knowing, doesn't knowing exist. that yeah, images, yeah. <laughs> images will be scrutinized, right? Knowing that we can mm -hmm. determine the origin of an image, like these are AI created images. They did yep. sound like they went through some some steps to create an image that would, even if you did some investigation, like come back as like an actual image would be unique. Yep. Would be unique. This person does not exist. dot com, right? Yes. Tyler Tyler nailed it. Right. Some of those are pretty damn freaky. Some of those are yeah. Can be oh, pretty freaking. Tyler's right. on mute. Uh oh, I Tyler, can see the it. lips oh. moving, but yeah. ain't nobody home. Is, some of those, some of those are just taking pictures out of pictures, like going through photo albums, cropping out and re-editing uh, and touching up so that the hash values are different. You don't get the same uh, tin eye response right. from some of the pulling them out and modifying them a little bit. Dude, but, that technology totally exists. So the latest Pixel, I got the latest Pixel like what last year. If you, I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. used this feature on the the Pixel or the latest versions of Android. I'm not sure how far they backported this uh, feature, but if I take a picture of uh, Larry and I are at a restaurant, right, and I take mm -hmm. a picture of Larry and there's a bunch of people and crap in the background, like it can like automatically 
gonna I, I forget the exact steps but like I go into edit I go into like advanced and I go smart crop it will using uh, AI and machine learning look at people in the background drink. in objects right AI machine learning everyone drink, drink. Uh, using that technology uh, will eradicate all of that stuff from the background to give me just Larry hmm. which I mean it have t I've tested it quite a bit I'm like I'm like that works really well. Smart erase, I think it's called smart erase yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Like, it works. Really? Other pictures. Lee finds this conversation incredibly boring. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's jet lag. It's jet lag. <laughs> I literally it's saw you nod lag, off. I yeah, I literally saw Lee just nod off for a minute there. <laughs> so, but I can see attackers using that kind of similar stuff to create yeah, yeah. right I images yeah, that totally. are like oh, kind of past some of the initial filters, right? Anyway, Nginx. Nginx? Some, Nginx ex yeah, some exploits. Like, this is like breaking, breaking, breaking news. Like, this came up on one of our earlier segments today. Like, really strange disclosure that I found for this one. Like, uh, this didn't seem like a security, re a traditional security researcher. This kind of seemed like a, what we would more traditionally team as a term or uh label i guess if you will as a gray hat kind of thing oh. like they didn't seem totally like black hat but it totally wasn't a white hat researcher like this was kind of gray hat like we found this thing and like yeah we totally want to get paid for it and but we're going to kind of drop it anyway um it was kind of weird it had to do with the ldap what? ldap subsystem within nginx i'm not sure how yep prevalent that is ubiquitous that is that you know to use uh, today in nginx deployments um nginx did uh, release a statement on the actual bug how to fix it mitigate it release patches for it um but there are exploits out there for it uh from what i've seen more recently i mean this stuff's breaking like today tyler you were dropping some links in there like stuff is happening yep. now basically with this yeah, there, there's several POCs that got dropped, and and it is the the LDAP library inside of Nginx specifically. But I I foresee that there may be more places this is used. It's used in a really interesting way for Nginx, so it may or may not end up being vulnerable in other things. But yeah, it's been dropped. The interesting thing about the people dropping these a lot of these times like where they may be security researchers they're often foreign so they don't have the connections they don't understand the process these are getting dropped in yeah reading the github reading the github uh nginx day um yep it's it, well written it, english was not the first language though yeah. it is well written it, it, i agree larry it, it like it's well not as, but you can you by reading it I think that's something mm -hmm. as like uh incident responders and security researchers we kind of glean like when you read the English text, we categorize it, right? Like yeah. English is not your first language. It's yep. the obvious first like bucket we put uh, it in. Update eight. As Nginx have now released a blog post like that speaks to me right there. Right. I've read uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words, and I can tell not native English speaker. There is definitely a difference <clears throat> between someone who has English as their native language mm -hmm. and just isn't really great at writing versus someone whose English is not their native language and is trying to write something in English. Like, yep. I don't know. As investigators, know. we've kind of learned to mm. to distinguish between the two. There, there's subtle ways in which uh, they learn English based on their yeah. native language and the way they were taught. 
based on their native right. language. Yeah. I the one that I find interesting, I was like, oh well, update eight was what I read those eight words or so from. Sure. Uh, and the last time that update eight was uh, provided to that particular GitHub repo was two days ago. Mm-hmm. Oof. Like, this has been out for two days already? And it, we're kind of just showing... It's kind of just making the radar now? Yeah, but it's kind of... It speaks to me like a gray hat kind of... Like, yeah. they're like, oh, we've been offered 200,000 in XMR for yep. the exploit. Like, that... Yep. To we're me, just, also, I mean... Like yeah. languages aside, like those type yep. of statements are typically made by those kind of gray yep. hat, if update, you will. Update eight. If you're thinking we're, quote, only interested only interested in the money, yes. What do you expect? We're a threat group, LOL. Yeah. 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 I'm very hungry. Oh, but you're, you're siloning Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, Damn it. it. And there's he's got a, important, there's a lot of he's got important there's a lot of things that are being protected right now by by Nginx. So the sure. the amount that this is worth, like yeah, I can definitely see this. This is almost a log four J in in that it is widely deployed. Yep, the version is probably widely deployed, and the exploitability on this one is not that difficult to be honest. And there's a lot of important things behind Nginx. So if these get compromised, that provides access to things that should not have access provided. Yeah. Let's see if Lee's not a Cylon. Uh, I changed microphones, so I probably don't sound so good. But not bad. No, you sound great. Uh, so my question was, what's the time limit? And they're, they're sitting here, you know, hey, when are they going to respond? When are they going to get back to me? I mean, it's, you know, I was trying to think back into how long it, the timeline here was. I mean, you know, if you have a VDP, you really need to respond. But it's, you know, is he waiting five minutes, five days, an hour? Yeah, it's a great question, Lee. And I, I wasn't able to glean this because it was kind of late breaking. Like, is there a patch or are there mitigations or they're both? Ah. Mm-hmm. There's mitigations. You can mitigations. disable yeah. the, the LDAP uh, daemon or or add some code into your LDAP.d. And I mm-hmm. believe that is a mitigating uh, or compensating control. Gotcha. But the proof of concept just barely came out. Like we've known that there's a zero day. We've known there's an exploit for, I think it's been maybe four days. Like it, it was dropped mm-hmm. in a form a little while ago, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a POC. So uh, up until now, we're kind of conjecturing on the POC. Then they dropped the POC and now this is public and it's going to be a, a bigger deal. So either someone's getting paid or there's going to be a patch put out and it's not worth anything. Or the mitigations are pretty valid. Again, I have I haven't dug into it, right? Like I, I don't want to knock Nginx because if they no, put out no. a blog post and they're like, here are the mitigations, yep. and in their assessment, your mitigations are totally valid. And by the way, we're working on a patch as well. Like that's pretty valid. Like the fact that they made a public blog post and I mean it was pretty detailed. I didn't read it in in detail again because it. Uh, there was a lot of stories and, and this was one of them that was kind of late breaking, right? But <clears throat> it kind of seemed like they were being pretty transparent. Like, yep, yep there's an yeah, issue. Yeah. Here's some mitigations and you're probably going to see a patch it, it pretty soon. But, yep. the, you know, like even Microsoft doesn't really come out and like, oh, here are some mitigations while we're working on a patch, right? Yep. Like that's, It looks like they had three different ways to mitigate. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're running Nginx in... I mean, specifically, do you have to have some LDAP the uh, modules and support in here, or is this like a if you're running I NGINX? LDAP, I think I think the LDAP 
.d or or the LDAP process is actually running on Nginx by default. It may Oof. not be being used. So unless you've hardened your Nginx from mm. defaults, I think it was default if I remember reading it right. I I'm, was testing the POC and I, I haven't looked into the mitigations pieces yet. That's what I, I was supposed to be doing next. So I think um, if you're running Nginx, you got to pay attention to this is what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regardless of your configuration, like go check. Yeah, I mean... This week has been has been kind of a weird week for news, but you look at some of the things that have dropped. There were two zero days in uh, Microsoft that they disclosed. There's a DevOps uh, critical. There was 115 CVEs and vulnerabilities this week in there Patch a, Tuesday. It was a big. It was a big uh, Patch you know, Tuesday yeah. yesterday, right? Yeah. It was yesterday, right? A RP, RP, bunch of RPC stuff that is potentially wormable. Yeah, remote like a nine point eight, like remote remote code execution through RPC unauthenticated externally um, via one one of those zero days, and it was being actively exploited. So that's uh, that's a big deal. Plus, I mean, one hundred and one hundred and fifteen for Microsoft. That's a pretty big patch Tuesday. Mm. Uh, and there was another zero day that was dropped literally twenty three hours ago um, uh, around print spooler. So again, make sure your print spoolers oh, disabled domain spoolers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Which you should have already had done because of a bunch of stuff not all that long ago. Yeah. Nightmare. Yeah. Yep. Was one of these SMB uh, um, remote procedure call runtime library uh, nine point eight out of ten uh, CVE twenty twenty two two six eight oh nine. Um, yep. uh, Dan Kim at Versec, which is a, a company that I, I recognize. Versec does great work. Um, this was, in, they say, a vulnerability found in SMB. Yep, you got one in RPC, you've got one yep. in SMB that were critical. There were, what was there, five criticals? Two of them were zero days, one of them actively exploited with RCE. It, it's not too often we talk about Patch Tuesday, right? As like late yeah. breaking. We used to all the like, time. Yeah, but like usually yeah, now, no, today, it's like stuff we know about. Sure, apply the patches. Like you're yep. all good. Yeah. This mm-hmm. one seems to be the medium addressing two zero days, which is kind of. I mean, that not man, not like that. Oh, Microsoft to, to Microsoft does a pretty good job today of locking shit down. Yeah. So yeah, you've got that. You've got Struts two. You've got Nginx. You've got man. There. This week has been from a, a drop week. It's been pretty heavy, honestly. Yeah. But, I didn't. I didn't get um, through the Struts two. Struts 2 had some stuff. CISA put out uh, an advisory for Struts 2. Lee might have had a comment back there. Oh, go ahead, Lee. I was going to say, while we're talking about Microsoft, we want to talk about their new auto patch stuff. Thank you, Lee. That's where I was going. Before we get to Struts 2, I absolutely agree, Lee. We should talk about um, their new auto patch feature, which seems to me like what we've been accomplishing with third-party tools, perhaps... Uh, if you know Active Directory well enough, you could accomplish natively in Active Directory. Uh, and that is updating not on Microsoft schedule, but on your own schedule for native Microsoft Windows OS vulnerabilities, but also mm-hmm. Office vulnerabilities and some adjacent stuff as well. It seems like this auto patch feature kind of gives you the, yeah, you want to update every patch Tuesday, but now they're giving the option for enterprises to upgrade as soon as the stuff comes out and not waiting until patch Tuesday. Did I get that? Did I glean that correctly from these articles? 
Yeah, yeah, that's been a thing. I mean, you've got different like preview and developer pipelines and early, uh, early, early beta, early tester. You've had a lot of that availability. You can opt into Insider, um, but now they're starting to push that a little bit more mainstream, where you just get it. So it's uh, it's a nice feature, and I think it is something that a lot of people will appreciate. Maybe not with inside of bigger enterprises that have change process testing, mm-hmm. dev environments, like you know production things that mm-hmm. you'll lose millions of dollars a minute. Like those are places you test these things. Other people like let's get this out there so we don't have botnets running around on people's home. Yeah, crap over the place. yeah. It's, it's where I've always felt that we should be with Microsoft uh, patches. I don't want to wait until Patch Tuesday, and no. then triage all the stuff test all the stuff and then roll it out like i want it i think in many environments you can just roll this stuff out now and, it, and not roll it all, all at once right i think it was what microsoft was saying in their advisories is that you do what we advise many enterprises to do take this patch as soon as it's available roll it out to a subset make mm-hmm. sure it's good if it's good keep rolling out like you're just basically in a constant state Mm. of rolling out patch like testing it right like it's like a ci cd pipeline exactly it, that's what i'm a big fan of like keep rolling it out like if it causes a problem sure roll it back do some testing make it work and then and then keep going but like you're always in this cycle of doing it like to me waiting to the second tuesday of every month i mean go back to in our archives like we've kind of picked upon that like i don't want to i don't want to wait like don't queue it up for yeah. me. I think there's so many organizations, especially today, that can go not good. Like, get, like give give me the updates. No, give no. me the update. I'll get them out. Like, don't uh, like don't spoon. Like, you don't need to hand hold me and spoon feed me. Like, I'll get it out. Yeah. Like, it, no. To Tyler's point, though, there are some organizations that are like eh, again, you lose Risk of your hurt. point, Tyler, yeah. losing millions of dollars a minute. I I totally I totally get it. Like, not everyone can patch the same way for every single system, but at least give the folks the opportunity who who want that and can do it, the opportunity to patch as soon as that stuff is available. Now, my question would be, is the stuff that's on the quote advanced release, uh, is that uh, like a binary patch? Like, remember back in the day, like the third party patches were things yes. like there's a zero day and like the patch for this won't come out until patch Tuesday or Microsoft releases something out of cycle. But you can go and patch this binary by doing this right edit third to party. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This third party edit of a binary. Are they hopefully they're wiping of, that out? Are uh, they are they edits of a so. binary or are they uh, like a full patch thing that we're now alpha testing their patches for release on Patch Tuesday? I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. But that's just my question. Uh, what yeah. what what role are they right, taking on right. this? Usually, usually, if it's released to Insider or it's released pre, you know, pre patch Tuesday, those are pretty well tested. Okay, uh, so just tra- traditional patch, testing. traditional patch cycle, yeah. as opposed to you know, binary. Yeah, it's not like an yeah. out of bound in in process, uh, you know, alpha version of a KB EXE that yep. you know you're going to have iterations <laughs> multiple times. Like this is this is what you're going to get provided when you get the patch Tuesday update. Gotcha. It's been tested that well. I mean, problem. and a lot of this. Is that, that defense in depth, like we've been talking, the, the medium to small business, they don't always have all of these layers that other things have or visibility right. uh, configurations done right. So these are the people that really do need some of these immediate patches because they're the ones getting popped because they don't have the extra pieces. Like, I mean, one of the zero days was you should be blocking 445 at your enterprise perimeter mm. firewall. 
But you look at what SMB and Soho routers are doing, they're not blocking that by default. You've got almost all of those available, or there's UPnP. And so yeah, there's there's other issues with this. So we really do need to get these people patched quicker, and I think they're a good demographic to test that and make that like readily available. Lee? So I'm, I'm really excited about this, but I'm worried that people will forget this is only the Microsoft product stack. Yep. That that Chrome vulnerability that you got to go to version 100, 100. whatever the hell it yep. is, yep. you still got to do your own thing to get that out there. Um, but I, it's just so exciting what they're doing. I really love it. I'm like, man, take that off my list of worries about and just mm. get me down to the non, non-Microsoft stuff. It'd be a win. And this is also just what Windows 10 and 11 desktops, I think. No server stuff, right? Uh, in, in his, I think either. so. It's only I, desktops. Yeah, I think so. I did see that, Lee, Windows 10 and 11. And I think... Many organizations, Lee, uh, kind of riffing off your point, like I've got some redundancy in my workstations uh-huh. in 10 and 11, right? Like I've got here in the studio, like I don't have one system that runs Zoom that gets people like uh, on our show. Mm. I've got three yeah. or four. So like, oh. right, like up, update one, like if shit's going well, I know, yeah, I know more. Pretty, pretty quickly, like if that's going to break my workflow and if it doesn't yeah. roll it out to the rest. And it, having that option to to like really be aggressive in rolling out new mm-hmm. software, especially for like highly purpose built systems, like in a a retail mm-hmm. organization point of sale system, yep. like roll it out to one store or roll it out to my test lab, yeah, like my bro, test bro, store. Roll right? it out to your test stores, your three or four test stores. Yeah, it's good. Right. So roll it out to one or two, you know, production stores. That's yeah, good. Roll it out to the rest. I can do right. that in a shorter time than waiting to the second Tuesday of the month to get it out there, right? right? And unprotected. I, I, I think that's important. I think it's, I think it's positive. I, I do too. I mean, I've got, I mean, I've got two work laptops here. One is in the early tester program for the patches and updates. We actually test and stage, I think somewhere about 150 of them before we roll it out everywhere. And then there's actually earlier testing ones than that where the, the, the patch team themselves is making sure it doesn't release the magic blue smoke. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll see an out of all of a sudden patching activity and I know what's going on on that one. It's not my primary machine. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, if you break. It's okay. I mean, and you also well hope, again. I mean, you also hope that Microsoft patches today don't break as much stuff as they used to, but they there's don't. always the exception. We've been burned well, by yeah. that, which is, but, I think they've it's been pretty way th- better than once once upon a time. It's yeah, way better. Anyway, I, I'm I'm excited. This is going to be cool. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, just the next evolution in Microsoft patching that maybe needed some attention. Doing a good job, but it can always get better. Speaking of right. next evolution, uh, yeah. next evolution of Raspberry Pi OSs. Ooh, yeah. ooh. They've gone to, which I really like. Um, which I really, I, I wish more IoT and device manufacturers would adopt is not setting. So, I, yeah, Raspberry Pi has like, they've broken this down to ba- username and password and treating those completely separately. Mm-hmm. They've gone more towards a traditional Linux distribution model where you choose your username and your password, right? Traditionally in Raspberry Pi, you always have the user pie and way back in the day 
it was user pie and it was a standard password. Raspberry. Ra raspberry. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. And so they got rid of the default password. Now they're getting rid of the, the default username, which I think is a great step. I I implore other <laughs> uh, distributions and devices to do the same thing. I think this is a great thing um, in, in terms of like the defaults. The defaults in especially purpose-built, embedded IoT systems are often what cause us heinous problems when it comes to security. And I think um, the new uh, Raspberry Pi OS Bullseye has basically getting rid of the default Pi user. I think it's a great step. I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, they've they 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 articulated it very well mm -hmm. in that. Well, yeah, we got rid of the default password, so you still could brute force the Pi user, but now we're kind of taking away the Pi user. I think getting ahead of security in this particular scenario is the way to go. Yep. I, I so I particularly love this and and it's very much a response to some of the the European uh, legislation mm -hmm. that is basically saying you can't have default usernames and passwords on your shit. Right? Um and I'm thinking about this and I'm like, "Oh, well, great. It's going to ask you during boot time to create a new user that's not Pi or could be Pi." Yeah. Ask you for your username and the screenshots. Get, get, get a new yeah. username and password and I'm like, "Well, shit." 99% of the Raspberry Pis that I've ever installed are all headless. They have like, a solution for that. I, I'm like, fuck, how are they going to do that? Like, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, you echo some stuff into a file on the boot partition after you flash the... Well, the first one is like, if you use our official Raspberry Pi imager tool, it will ask you these questions. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, oh, well, if you just put this in the uh, a file with an encrypted there's password. A, there's a file in the boot partition, right? Yep, the yep. file in the boot partition that will configure this the first time that you boot this thing up and it will apparently it deletes the file. Or if not, you but you can, yeah, if nothing you, else, you can go and delete it afterwards. You flash your micro SD card and yep. then you edit the file on your micro SD card. Userconf.txt yeah. on the boot yep. partition of the SD card. Right. Which contains a single line of text consisting of username colon encrypted password, which the encrypted password is passed to open SSL uh password yeah, the command six standard. Yeah. I yeah. think that I think that's really smart. Yeah. You know, I I really like this and <sighs> I got work to do. There was another article someone sent to me about performance on the Raspberry Pi. Hmm. And mm -hmm how micro SD is not <clears throat> as performant as an actual NVMe. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's somewhere in our internal Slack channel. Yep, I, was seeing I think it was John Kinsella, who's amazing. Yep. Uh, it it kind of floated us by like when you're building purpose-built Raspberry Pis for things like, yeah. uh, what is the gaming one, the emulator? Uh, Retro yeah, RetroPie, when you're building right. a RetroPie, not to do it on micro SD, but to do it on actual NVMe hardware, uh, yeah. hardware. And the there's a whole, there's a, a person who's done some amazing research and performance. I think he wrote a benchmarking tool <laughs> and then produced all of his results and like makes hardware recommendations on, on how to do this. And I was like, oh, my dude, you're awesome. Like that's 
for not just like I and I, I've built retro pies in the past and they're amazing yep. and they're awesome and the kids have so much yeah. fun with them, right? Um, but also all of our raspberry pies that we purpose built for all kinds of different things can benefit from this person's research. So yep. uh, I, I'd, I'd argue everything that I use a raspberry pie for definitely knows that there is some latency and isn't the most powerful computing platform and everything that I throw sure. at it is. Yeah. But then again, I'm not your typical Raspberry Pi user. I've probably got. Hey, you know, it's hard to say what I a, a typical Raspberry Pi user is, Larry. But well, I mean, typical Raspberry Pi oh, user has, uh, has one or two. I have 50. JamesAChambers.com <laughs> has a post on February 4th, 2019. Raspberry Pi cheap SSD upgrade guide. Yep. And I mean, he's this person has done some amazing testing on like what hardware to buy, like performance benchmarked everything. Uh, and I thank John Kinsella uh, from Application Security Weekly for, for bringing this to our attention. Uh, just an amazing post. So if you're using Raspberry Pis, go to jamesachambers.com. Uh, and he's got a lot of research and posts about uh, how to do that. Yep, awesome stuff. What else? Now, if we could uh, only keep my RTLSDR cool, that would be awesome. Oh, I was, <laughs> oh, I was thinking about Paul when I saw the AWS Lambda hack. Oh yeah, that was really I interesting. Started it too, Paul. It was um. Like, I was I was kind of hoping there was story a, number two. Yeah, it was. I was kind of hopingly when I read this that there was an actual attack against AWS Lambda, but it turns out like the way I read that it was. Mal like generic kind of malware that kind of sensed that it was in Lambda and did specific things um, right. uh, against it. So um, one of the features of the malware was to use DNS over HTTPS yes, yep. for communicating uh, its command mm -hmm. control. So it doesn't necessarily target a weakness in Lambda, but checks for that environment and then does like specific stuff if it's in that environment so like this malware will run on really like any kind of linux type environment mm -hmm. but if it's in lambda it'll do special stuff in the katosecurity.com uh blog provides way more details as to yep. exactly how it operates in lambda which i thought was kind of interesting yeah I mean, one of the things that popped out for me is, you know, it's written in Go and it's got an XMR ring crypto miner built into it. Yep. And I'm thinking, getting that flying in a serverless environment, mm, that's interesting. I wonder if it could stay under the radar because you know those are big resource odds. Yeah, you don't realize it till you get your bill, Lee, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, and that's all you crap. need, right, Tyler? <laughs> He's shaking his head. Yep. Uh -huh. It was kind of... Uh, Interesting to tie that one to the RDS one. Where's my RDS yeah. one? Amazon RDS. Uh, there was a researcher that did some awesome research on RDS and some of the weaknesses. And what the, where is that story? Uh, number nine. My, thank you, Lee. My story number nine. Um, so the log underscore FWD extension allowed, so this was, pre-installed in both Aurora Post uh, SQL, Postgres SQL and Amazon RDS for Post SQL, a privileged authenticated user able to trigger the bug could use the leaked credentials to gain elevated access to database resources. That sounds like really bad, but really it's in 
an AWS context. In other words, I get these credentials and these credentials give me access to, a quote from the article, internal RDS services or move between databases or other AWS accounts. So it kind of seemed to me like you don't get the database credentials necessarily mm. to harvest all the data, but you get credentials that allow you to access all Love of the resources oh. that are oh. assigned to your AWS resources tied to your database. So if you've tied your database <clears throat> to other AWS stuff, I can gain access to that. That's what my, my comment yep. was like. I'd be interested to see like how this is exploited in the wild, like mm. what you can do with it. Because right. it's not access to the database, but it's like I've configured RDS before and you configure it in your VPC and you say like this RDS instance has access to this and that and the other thing. Like these user roles and these other resources are tied to this database. Um, so that's kind of interesting. It'd be an interesting thing for uh, Rich Mogul and I to talk about. Yes. Like like. Yeah, absolutely. Like how, how, like an exploit of this kind, like what does that give you access to? I don't think it's fully been kind of explored as to exactly what that gives no. an attacker access to, which is kind of scary. And hopefully they won't ever get a chance to because they fix it. Yeah, hopefully AWS, yeah. And Amazon's AWS team fixes like some pretty, like people come with mm -hmm. some creative shit and they fix it, uh, which, which is good. Um. Oh my God, talk about an article. Like, I don't know that we've covered an article that has spawned like so many questions and other research than mm -hmm. my story number 10. Holy crap. So the headline is, OpenSSH moves to prevent capture now and decrypt later attacks, <laughs> right? So, I mean, we all, uh, many of us have been yep. in that transition from Telnet to SSH version one, SSH version mm -hmm. one was, was really shady, right? Better, we better moved, than Telnet, right? Better than Telnet, and when we moved to SSH version two, yep. there have been other attacks against you know the SSH protocol. But I forget who invented the SSH protocol. They're on my list of like people we need to bring on as guests. Like, there's a whole history yeah. there, and it's totally amazing. Like, it's an amazing uh, accomplishment of cryptography and computer science and protocols and security, right? Uh, long history in OpenSSH. In their latest yeah. version, 9.0, they're basically hardening S OpenSSH against quantum cryptography attacks. Hmm. They're like, look, we're going to make these changes in this version to protect if someone were to capture encrypted traffic and then have a quantum computer that can break that cryptography. Like, mm. talk about vision. It's totally amazing. What, like, spawns so much research that we would have to, like, really talk to someone who was, like, a really big crypto kind of... And could like, use their psychology degree to come up with some good analogies for, right? us, dumb, like, for us dumb people. Dude, totally true. Totally true. Like, Exactly, like someone who can explain it at the mathematical crypto level, yep. but also. So imagine you have an orange, yeah, and you have it, a bunch but, of monkeys. Fuck this orange! Hey, like I would, I ex <laughs> exactly. I would love to have the, like those analogies. Like that would be the. the uh, it would be so amazing to have that explanation. Um, so the the open source group will now use a hybrid streamlined NTRU prime plus, plus. an X two five five one nine key exchange method by default. They say it's a move 
that includes a backstop against future discoveries of flaws in the NTRU algorithm. What? Uh, I I had no <laughs> idea. That was my that was my what? exact uh, huh? thoughts. I was like, what? Like, all right, let me. What is NTRU Prime? So I found a website that explained it, and I still, when I read the website, I still didn't understand it. So it's a project that recommends from switching from cyclo 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 cyclotomics to large gallois groups to reduce the attack surface. Dude, like they have a pill for that lattice based cryptography, and they go on to describe what the NTRU prime. A streamlined MTRU prime is a small lattice base KM aimed for the standard of goal of INDCAA2 security. What? Whole, and again, <laughs> what? I'm like researching all the, like, what do those acronyms mean? KM is. It's oh, more. It, it's more. No. It, it's K, more secure. KM was a thing. Hold on. KM. I, I, I did this Google search. KM cryptography. Uh, is a key encapsulation mechanism is what KM is. Like I had to like literally read the sentence and then research the algorithms and then go back and like reread the sentence to understand it because <laughs> I totally yeah. didn't understand it. Dude, it's too much work. <laughs> well, like a lot. And then, but then also the X5, uh, sorry, X25519 uh, is the Diffie-Hellman based uh, key exchange. So X... 25519 is an elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman key exchange oh, using point. curve 25519. I don't know what curve 25519 is. I didn't click that link to see what that is. It says it allows two parties to jointly agree on a shared secret yep. using an insecure channel. Yeah, di- so like, uh, the, the whole, like, but the whole sentence I'm like I'm I'm really intrigued as yeah. to exactly how that works. Yep. And like two <laughs> parties agreeing a shared secret using an insecure channel. Like to me that's that's really so like Larry, this I think so, translates to a lot of wireless protocols, right? Yeah. That have to allow two parties who would agree on a shared secret to use I, I using an insecure I, channel. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I, and I may be completely wrong, and I equate the Diffie-Hellman anonymous key exchange thing that they developed. Sure. Um, and uh, no, no intent to slander or libel anyone here, but. So much of our computing security is reliant on Diffie-Hellman exchanges, mm-hmm. which is the intent for us to be able to exchange keys anonymously and agree on a set of keys. And Diffie-Hellman ag- developed this stuff while on LSD in Hyde-Ashbury. Like, oh, dude, amazing story. <laughs> like, amazing story. Like, but like, holy shit. Like, like, to put that all in perspective as, like, the way I think of Diffie-Hellman is basically like half the key, right? Like, yeah. Your public and private key is basically like half the key, right? Like that's the basic premise of Diffie-Hellman. Yeah. Like, okay, like in SSL, the RSA algorithm. Yeah. Our two mayonnaises are different. Establish the <laughs> the prime number factoring <laughs> See, aspect. See, I got, I got Lee with that one. Right. Prime number factoring aspect of all of that, yeah. right? So we can, and there's, and I'm, that's like the most yeah. highest yeah. level explanation of yeah. that with a no analogy for that. Um, but then... In the context of OpenSSH in this description, they are using different algorithms mm-hmm. to make it resilient to quantum computing yeah. based attacks. Like that, 
requires an expert or two or three in this area to I, be able to describe how all of that is actually working. Lee's, just Lee, Lee's got a comment. Fascinating. Lee. I know he does. So, so I, I agree with you in, in, to a point, Paul. The, the basics they're doing, you don't necessarily need a crypto expert to understand. Sure. They're raising the bar on the key exchange, yep. raising bar on the crypto algorithm, yep. which is something that's it's too easy to think, oh, yeah, AES 2 is good enough. Well, it's good enough for this interval. Mm -hmm. And if you want to stay ahead of the game as the computers are getting better, you've got to keep raising the bar. And that's what they're doing. Um, and that's simple. And I think for the average IT person, they, that's what they need to focus on is you need to keep moving the bar. You can't just... I mean, yep. how long have we been doing AES 256? 30 years now? Yeah. Um, right. Yep. And so, and yes, our computers have gotten much better at doing it, and it doesn't take the hit that it did. Um, I, I guess I my question is... They're pushing the envelope with, with NTRU and, and X25519, even though I can't explain them. I know right. they're... Yeah, like, is it, is it the key size versus the... It, the math I, I think it goes it's two into things, driving right? the key. Like, it's the key, the key size, size, but also the implementation in the protocol that's yep. implementing the, the, the key yep. side. Like there's a couple of different right. aspects to that. Yeah. Right. To be able to, to be resilient to the quantum cryptography, my limited understanding, right? It's kind of breaking it down into logical blocks yep. of key size versus you're, you're, the actual protocol that's implementing uh -huh. that. You're, that you're, at yeah. this point, you're literally trying to hedge your bet, which is good about Preventing nation states from being able to yeah, break your SSH. But I agree sessions. with Larry. Like in in the first but in, incarnations of it is going to be nation states. Right. But I, I think but what the, the, the all, amazing vision of open SSH is like they're not necessarily pinning mm. it to a persona of who's going to break right. the key. They're just like, yep, I don't care who this. gets a hold of this technology. We want our keys yep. to be resilient to yeah, it any may, type it of may be three. It may be three nation states right now. But in five years, like you can do this on the desktop. Yes. Like, fix yeah, this now right, so right. that those three nation states right. now can't solve this problem. So that well, five years from now, the desktop is still also not plausible. There, there's one more thing we have to remember to do, though, and that is that um, beyond all the security and the strength of the key is to remember to rotate them. You don't run them indefinitely because... The longer they run, the greater the risk that somebody has captured it. No, it's a great point, Lee. Yeah. Yep. Yep. When's the last time you changed your SSH host keys? I can tell you exactly when. Yeah, me too. Probably, yeah, probably but, uh, the same uh, also, lifecycle point. Yeah, but also your point, there's great solutions out there for rotating your keys, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can tell you exactly when, October 8th, 2018. There you go. <laughs> 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 it's all well, gotcha. I I I I, well, I do want to bring on other people to help explain some of this stuff because I, I think it's oh. really it's really fascinating. It's really yeah, fascinating. I, I didn't mean to mash that point into the into the into the wayside. No, no, I'd love to be in that conversation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. We'll work on that. Um the uh, not as technical, uh transitioning from really in depth cryptography to the former Ethereum developer, Virgil Griffith, mm. is sentenced to five plus years in prison for basically enabling 
or attempting to enable North Korea to evade uh, certain types of sanctions in money. I don't want to say money laundering, right? But uh, evade. How to, Tyler, go how ahead. To how to leverage cryptocurrency in order to evade sanctions. Like you yeah. went and did a, a presentation at uh, Pio, Pio Pangjing or however you say it. I'm not good in North Korean. So yeah. uh, there was a, a, a conference there. He had a lot of evidence against him, you know, with him giving pictures, having no sanctions, a smiley face on the chalkboard. Right. Um, but what I thought was interesting, just to talk about the justice system for a moment here in the U.S., there was um, when you're prosecuted here in the u.s for various crimes right this was a federal offense right and he was prosecuted in uh in the u.s but all uh, brought to new york i think there's major cities like if you're prosecuted for a federal crime where they have federal prisons that like that's not where you're serving your time that's where you're serving your kind of interim time while you're awaiting sentencing uh in in waiting for your trial first your trial to take place and then sentencing and he was in the brooklyn it's in the article hold on the bwm yeah bw uh brooklyn something prison uh brooklyn's metropolitan detention center uh mdc there's another one i think maybe for more uh new york jurisdiction uh jurisdiction uh crimes that's on Ellis Island, it's like on an island as well where you've heard about similar, like basically his defense was like uh, our client that we're representing was in deplorable conditions in a New York-based uh, prison. Uh, and there's <clears throat> this one, Brooklyn's Metropolitan Detention Center, is for more federal cli- crimes, the way I understand it. There's other ones that are more for localized crimes that seem to me to have share similar stories where inmates have spent uh inmates might be the wrong uh term but I'll, I'll i'll use it in this general sense right inmates have spent time in solitary confinement have not been given proper basically health conditions in terms mm. of uh food in terms of medical care uh, i've heard lots of stories in other podcasts i listen to outside of cybersecurity um in terms of getting uh basic health care uh food all, all of those can what they said now i didn't think this was true not cybersecurity related right but the defense was making the argument that like uh the 10 months that uh griffith spent in this prison should be counted as double because the the uh conditions were so deplorable mm. i don't i don't i don't disagree with that nope uh, based we, on we, what we, i've we, read about what happens in in like these prisons right but um in, in in some of the other you know circumstances, the medical care was was deplorable. Uh, there was a, a mafia informant named Joe Barone that I listened to a two part podcast mm. on, and he talked about this, and I I felt really bad for him in that he was cooper- cooperating with law enforcement in the mm-hmm. FBI, um, but also all kinds of, go listen to Jordan Harbinger in his interview with Joe Barone. It's, it's amazing. Um, he was like, I, I got like really crappy medical care, basically. Yeah. Like I got Mercer and like it wasn't treated right and I had to get for, it treated For those again. outside of Rhode Island, it's MRSA. MRSA, right? Yeah. <laughs> our, Mercer. Right? Mercer, right, MRSA, right. yeah. yeah. Uh, did I say that wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I had no, a couple nope, of drinks. you said it right. I had a couple of drinks. You said it right. Um, but uh, so he, in this case, 
uh, Griffith was uh, basically they were saying the ten months should count as double. Yep, uh, we had cr cruel and inhumane punishment. Right? Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. Like, there's some pretty heinous things that happens in the U.S. prison system here. That multiple stories that we've covered on the show that relate back to cybersecurity and or nation state kind of crimes that tie back to cybersecurity. And I'm like, yeah, like I've had to do some of that research and like I don't disagree with, right? Now, what was interesting was you look on the flip side of that and what the judge is looking at in this case is that this uh, Griffith was, basically there was pictures of him in like North Korean uh, attire mm -hmm. uh, saying like, hey, here's how you bypass sanctions to use cryptocurrency huh. to get around these sanctions. And that was kind of like the, the, the damning yeah. evidence against him. Mm. Look at Ukraine right now. Like you don't want to be trying to bypass sanctions. Like, yeah. and as bad as our prisons are, it's still a five star compared to many foreign prisons. If you've watched <clears throat> any of the locked up abroad stuff or been to any of the foreign prisons, like mm. we could have left them in South Korea. It right. Have been a yep. Like, yeah. How about Turkey? Those are some. I, there's yeah. a lot of prisons <laughs> in or like outside of the U.S. You don't and, and yeah, yeah, probably even way worse. <laughs> I mean, again, like what I've researched that happens in U.S. prisons, and then you look at the stuff mm -hmm. I've researched in international, like outside the U.S. prisons, like yep. it's bad. Yeah, like there's levels of bad. Yeah, we w we watch the this show like uh, abandoned. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, you know, abandoned shit all over the 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 world and some of them are prisons that closed 10 years ago and like the conditions that they documented from these prisons 10 years ago are deplorable at best yeah well also there's the so i i, I strongly uh recommend the jordan harbinger show i like jordan uh, mm -hmm. harbinger's podcast it's, it's it's really great um some of the ones he's done are not just prisons but you're a journalist and you want to go into syria Oof, right yep. and like i i don't know if it, it doesn't really tie to cybersecurity, right but yep. it, it kind of ties into some of the it's almost like a social engineering aspect which i think is mm -hmm. like it, it really irks me that major media companies in the u.s are like oh uh, we're not sending our staff journalist into Syria, but if you're an up and coming journalist, yeah, we'll send and you want to go to Syria and get that first hand account, like yep. that's how you move up in the ladders. Yep. But a high, high percentage of up and coming journalists that are like, oh, I'm in Turkey and I want to go to Syria, yep. are getting kidnapped and then held for rent for a hostage, basically. And I mean, dude, you're not in a prison at that point like, if, yeah, if no. you're not killed if like, you're not killed just, if like, you're not killed which we're not in a lot of cases i've heard tyler like they're doing you a favor if you're freaking killed yep. right which is deplorable yeah but they're like you're basically held by terrorists and we're not paying, and like, we're your not, conditions we're not, are like we're not paying ransom for the new guy your conditions are a thousand times worse <laughs> of being in a u.s prison like that's yeah. and it, like it's interesting he's done interviews with those journalists who have actually made it out oh. and not gotten uh, captured. Killed. Then he's done interviews with people who are the hostage negotiators Oof. with terrorist groups like Hamas and others in Syria, in, in, uh, you know, not in Pakistan, but in Syria. And they're like, dude, you're a journalist that got, that got captured. Like your chances of survival are really low. And by the way, if you survive, 
like you're you're in a world of hurt mm. for probably a really long time and you're lucky if you make it back alive after that like though this story just kind of reminded me of that whole yes. shit that happens Don't. in this world that like most people are ignorant to which i i strongly encourage people kind of educate themselves about and if you're an up-and-coming journalist don't go to Syria. Like, please, please don't. Don't don't try and make a name for yourself in some of these these countries because it's not going to end well for you at all. No. Don't. North Korea is probably not a great place to, to help out. And no. honestly, like the, the narcissism you read in some of the psychology pieces of this dude, like he wanted to come back, you know, on a spotlight, be a crypto hero, give the government a finger. Like it's North korea like you know anything about mm -hmm. geopolitical and how north korea actually operates like you're stupid for helping them you're stupid for going over there like yeah. i get the people it's a it's a sad situation but tyler really that is, happens but. in a lot of other countries as well jordan also did uh an interview with someone who was in denmark that like there are groups in countries outside of north korea that create these cults if you will that support the north korean government and I think he interviewed someone that was kind of like a double agent. He was mm. like, oh, I'll be part of one of these groups. And he's like, I'll inform law enforcement. And like, thankfully, yes. it's like so that other people don't fall into this cult of like, you're not from North Korea. You're from Denmark, but you're in this group that's supporting this like heinous regime in, in North Korea. That's kind of what this story reminded me of as well. A lot of great, a lot of great stories about that, like that educate people about like what's happening in some of these countries that when you read when i read this article i was like that's really bad like you can't be supporting some of these regimes so to take us out paul yeah i'd love to cover a story a little bit more fun uh, oh please let's end on a more positive yeah, note. yeah uh, that was a really dark <laughs> specifically my story number two really uh, dark because from uh from now on uh i am going to be known as the hacker formerly known as hacks the matrix and i'm going to be representing myself as a unicode symbol uh, known okay. as the uh, right angle with downward zigzag arrow. Now, this is a to me. This was a great thing about. Uh, so it's a Unicode character U twenty three seven C, otherwise known as wrangle down zigzag arrow or ampersand angzar. It looks like an X Y axis with Z the plot points that are outside of the x and, and an y arrow, axis and an yeah. arrow yep yeah yeah and to me this is very representative of someone going into an organization and having to figure out how to support all of this legacy shit in their organization from a security perspective because specifically this right angle with downward zigzag arrow showed up as part of some adopted stuff into uh, all of the Unicode characters in 1991 as an additional mathematical character. Hmm. But no one knows what the fuck it represents. What, what mathematical operation does it represent? In fact, in 1991, they didn't even have a representation of what this was supposed to be. That's really... It's because they could. It's because they could. They put this thing in to represent something maybe that later we want to decide what it represents in 1991. And then, mm -hmm. you know, 1993 and 2000 and like just it keeps getting moved forward in 
all of these adaptations and is still present today in the Unicode character set and no one knows what the fuck it means. This is the meaning of the character in question will be whatever meaning is assigned by whoever uses it next. It is if, my name. If anyone uses it at all. It is my current hacker handle. That's there fine. it is. Done. Things are. Thank you, Mr. Jonathan Chan, a student at UBC who did all the research on the background. And now I get to claim it. I love it. I love I, I but I, I love so that, I love that like uh, master's degree students can take the luxury or you know opportunity to research these esoteric yeah. things and, and kind of bring them to light. Enjoy paying for that when you have the time to do it and the motivation to still undertake those efforts. Yeah, but I, I still I, you know uh, again I but I think a lot a lot of academic research like as we've covered on the show like might not be relevant today. But then you fast forward five, ten years in the future, and all of a sudden, like it's it's relevant, right? All, all I'm doing is thinking of can I use this in email to get past spam filters mm, right. or encode my malware with this Unicode that gets decrypted and it has its own purpose? Like this seems amazing. A two bytes, yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild, Larry. Crazy. <laughs> uh, the hacker, formerly it. known as Hacker of the Matrix, is now identified by a. Right angle, squiggly mark. What is the is the uni, actual Unicode code? Uh, it, it is. Uh, oh, his research paper is amazing. Twenty three seven C. Twenty three seven C. Yep. Right angle with downward zigzag arrow. Thank you. Twenty three seven C. You're welcome. Twenty three seven C. That's great. <sighs> That's good stuff. Well. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching this edition of Paul's Security Weekly. Larry, take us out. Over and 